When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. It is actually, uh, for you, it's an hour earlier, and you're not used to hearing me at the beginning of the show. But here we are. Hopefully, that gives us an opportunity to reach some new listeners that might not usually be around at this time on a Sunday. So, yeah, technically, spring ahead. Yeah, so technically, for a lot of you, you think it's only uh, an hour ago. And, in fact, it's now, right now. But... I'm glad to have you aboard nonetheless. All right. A lot to get to today. Uh, There's some very serious news to get to, and we will get to as much of it as possible. But I am a cinephile. I don't pretend to be a movie expert, and uh, people will call in and try and ask me movie trivia questions and things of that nature. I am very stumpable because I am not an expert. What I am is someone that enjoys motion pictures, and I enjoy specifically the occasion of the Academy Awards. And I know it's not exactly what it used to be, but um, it's still fun for me. I, I think it's fun to try and see the movies. I think it's try, it's fun to see what movies are nominated. I think it's fun to see the, the award show itself, fun to see the musical performances, fun to see your favorite celebrities, fun to see people interacting with, with, with whom. You know, it's a, it's a fun day. I... I Really do still get a kick out of it. And I guess the big thing, the big, I have a few takeaways uh, as far as this year goes. One, I will repeat the same thing that I've said repeatedly year after year for at least the last 15, 20 years. It is just crazy that this award ceremony, which is watched even at its lowest, even at its nadir in terms of TV viewership, It's watched by 16.5 million people at the lowest. Now, I think this year, because you had some movies that were box office uh, hits, I think you're going to see this year's ratings be a bit higher. But it's not on the radio. You can't listen on the radio. And then, uh, because what happens is I had to drive to work last night while the ceremony was still going on. Now, what should happen if this was the World Series, if this was the Super Bowl, if this was a presidential debate, if this was any other major TV viewership event, I'd be able to 
flip on the radio and listen to this show. But why, for the life of me, they don't air this on radio, I just cannot understand. I cannot understand. I don't know if this is a decision the Academy has made. I don't know if this is a decision that the the, the gods of radio have made. Whatever the case is, it stinks. Because sometimes you, maybe you'll be at an Academy Awards party and you'll have to go home to uh, go to sleep or take your, put your kids to sleep or, in my case, drive to work, and you want to see who's winning. And so I thought, okay, well, I'm sure it's streaming online somewhere. Maybe I can just watch the stream online on my mobile phone and hook that into my car with the Bluetooth and have that play as like, like my own radio station. And, of course, that didn't work at all because they made it so that you can't watch it online unless you have something called Sling Blue, which is another major subscription fee. So there was no way to listen to this in your car as you were driving home. And this should absolutely be on the radio. I am going to be launching a petition maybe tomorrow because year after year, there are only two people that have consistently been heard on this issue. Well, we've we've spoken on it. I don't know that we've been heard because nothing has changed. It's Frank Morano and it's Tom from the Bronx. Tom from the Bronx, true to he always calls in and says they should air stuff like this on the radio. Tom from the Bronx even took out ads at a former radio station that I was at advocating for this with his own money. I mean, you imagine that. How many listeners are doing that to promote whatever cause that they believe in? So I am going to be, I'm getting serious about this. I am going to be launching a petition this week on change.org saying the Academy Awards should be carried on the radio. The other thing is, when I was a young person, I used to really enjoy watching the Academy Awards, including when I was in school and uh, I was a movie file even as a teenager. Why do they do this on a Sunday? When it ends at 11, 11.30 Eastern, people can't stay awake. They can't stay awake to see the show, especially when it's the day after the spring ahead, the uh, daylight saving time change. People are already sleep deprived for an hour. You're going to make them stay up until 1130 to find out what one that's not right. Um, so I think I know this is sacrilege and I they have never done this in my lifetime. When I was growing it up, it actually used to be on Monday and then they moved it to Sunday, which is slightly better. But when I they I would love to see this on a non-school, non-work night. I would love to see it on a night when people can actually have a, a party and, uh, you know, order food and have drinks and watch the show and not make people go to work the next day or go to school sleep-deprived and groggy or forced to play hooky. I have a friend who's very into movies. He watches the Academy Awards. He has a party. You know what he does? He calls out the next day. And Think of the lost productivity from people that are doing that. So those are my two issues that I wish would change. I don't think that it should air on a uh, on a Sunday. I think it should air on a Saturday or a Friday, and I think it should air on the radio. 800-848-9222 if you agree. Now, in terms of there were a couple of key takeaways uh, from the ceremony so far. The, the one was this was I think it was a fine awards show. You ever see History of the World Part 1? I haven't seen History of the World Part 2 yet. It was a fine awards show, but you remember the the part where uh, Dom DeLuise is playing Caesar and somebody gives him a bathtub as a gift? You remember what he says? He says, it's nice. He says, it's not thrilling. 
it's nice. <laughs> and that's what this award show was. Um, there, I don't think there were very many moments where you're going to be seeing, uh, seeing replays of them five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now. Last year, we got the infamous Chris Rock slap uh, by Will Smith. A couple of years before that, we got them reading the wrong film for Best Picture. That's really when the Oscars is at its most memorable, quite frankly, when something goes wrong. And you hate to say it like that, but that's that's the truth. Then they had that one year where they interviewed this this random guy from that was a a tourist from Chicago, and they made him a celebrity. That turned out he had a, a prior criminal conviction that was then plastered all over the papers the next day. It's stuff like that that the Oscars does. That's uh, that's always the most memorable. Like when the naked guy streaked behind uh, David Niven during the Academy Awards, or obviously the Sasheen little feather moment with Marlon Brando, Vanessa Redgrave calling out the Zionists, uh, you know, uh, Michael Moore calling out the Bush administration. There were no moments like that, unless I missed something, which I very well might have, because there was no radio to listen to the ceremony on. It was just kind of your standard Academy Awards show. But you know what? I think maybe you need that to some degree. Maybe you needed a little bit of boring, a little bit of a return to normalcy. I thought you saw a couple of very compelling musical performances. The Lady Gaga performance of the song that she did in Top Gun, that was very good. You saw uh, Rihanna perform her song from uh, the, the Wakanda Forever. I thought that was very well done. She looked and sounded great. And I thought Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Kimmel did a uh, serviceable job. I'm not the biggest Jimmy Kimmel fan in the world, but I thought he, I thought he was mildly funny. Here's a little bit from his, uh, his opening. Congratulations. I know that uh, being here tonight is a dream come true for most of the people in this room. Thank you for inviting me to be a part of it, especially this year when the world finally got out of the house to see the films you worked so hard to make the way you intended them to be seen in a theater. And I, I also want to say that I am happy to see that Nicole Kidman has finally been released from that abandoned AMC <laughs> where she has been held captive for almost two full years now. It's good to have you back, Nicole. You know, I, I guess that's a reference to the Nicole Kidman AMC Theaters commercial. That was a little bit inside baseball, because if you're like me and you haven't been to a multiplex in over a year, you, maybe you haven't seen that uh, Nicole Kidman ad. But, yeah, the, she's in this ad for AMC Theaters where it says we, we make movies better. That's OK. Uh, he did make a joke about a subject that we have covered from time to time on this program. You look great. Everybody looks so great. When I look around this room, I can't help but wonder, is Ozempic right for me? Now, Jimmy Kimmel actually looks good. He used to be kind of chubby, and now he looks very svelte. He looks great. But that's a reference to the fact that so many celebrities in Hollywood are taking this diabetes drug, Ozempic, for the side effect that it has of weight loss. Uh, Also, the other one, kind of the sister drug to Ozempic, is we govy. And he did uh, make a joke about the Chris Rock slap by Will Smith. Will Smith was not there. Jada Pinkett Smith was not there. As I understand, Will Smith is banned from attending these ceremonies for the foreseeable future. This is what uh, Jimmy Kimmel said on that front. We know this is a special night for you. We uh, want you to have fun. We want you to feel safe. 
And most importantly, we want me to feel safe. So we have strict policies in place. If anyone in this theater commits an act of violence at any point during the show, you will be awarded the Oscar for Best Actor (laughs) and permitted to give a 19-minute long speech. No, but seriously, the Academy has a crisis team in place. If anything unpredictable or violent happens during the ceremony, just do what you did last year. Nothing. (laughs) Sit there and do absolutely nothing. Maybe even give the assailant a hug. I thought that, um, so if you haven't heard who won and who, who lost, the Best Picture winner and a film that won several awards uh, last night, including in the major acting categories, the Best Picture winner was Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, which I just loved. You know, I was trying to explain it to Curtis Lewa and his wife before, before they left, and it's a, sh- a film you really can't explain. It's very difficult, if you've seen it, to explain it to someone else. It deals with the multiverse. It deals with uh, these folks working in a laundromat, but it's also a comedy, and it's got the guy from uh, the the Asian guy from Seinfeld. It's really it's a difficult it's a difficult movie to explain. But I found it to be a very easy movie to enjoy. I enjoyed it more than uh, I haven't seen all the films, including uh, I didn't end up seeing All Quiet on the Western Front, which won quite a few awards. Yesterday, I haven't seen that yet, but I enjoyed it more than uh, than most of the films that uh, that I've seen that were nominated in some category or another. Matt Blaze, did you see everything everywhere all at once and you're not going to no interest? No, actually, I do want to see it. I want to see that. I want I haven't seen Top Gun. Oh, you didn't see Top Gun. Well, no. You got to see Top Gun. And I, um, the uh, the Fablemans and Whale. I want to see all of them. Yeah, I didn't I see, see Whale yet either. I was glad to see that uh, Brendan Fraser did win uh, in uh, the uh, best supporting, the best actor category. I predicted that he would win, and I was glad to see that uh, that he would. But I, I'll tell you, um, speaking of everything, everywhere, all at once, one of the awards that they did win was in the best supporting actor category for. Ki Hugh Kwan. I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. If I'm not, I apologize. But um, this is the young man. Do you remember Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom? He is the little Asian kid in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Then he did Goonies as a child actor, and then he did a couple of other pictures. He did Encino Man back in 1992. He has not been an actor. He has not been on screen in a motion picture in over 30 years. And now this is his return to acting in cinema. He not only gets nominated, but actually wins. I thought his uh, acceptance speech was absolutely beautiful. And I was glad that they let him go on uh, a little longer than uh, than they probably should have. Wow. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, I was raised to never forget where I came from and to always remember who gave me my first opportunity. I am so happy to see Steven Spielberg here tonight. Steven, thank you. Uh, When I started my career as a child actor in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, I felt... I felt so very lucky to have been chosen. As I grew older, I started to wonder if that was it, if if that was just luck 
For so many years, I was afraid that I had nothing more to offer. Uh, that no matter what I did, I would, I would never surpass what I achieved as a kid. Thankfully, more than 30 years later, two guys thought of me. They remembered that kid. And they gave me an opportunity to try again. <laughs> everything, everything that has happened since has been unbelievable. Dan Kwan, Daniel Scheiner, thank you so, so much for helping me find my answer. You have given me more than I could have ever hoped. Uh, Thank you to the Holland Foreign Press Association for this incredible honor. Uh, thank you to A24, Leyline Entertainment, and Agbo. Thank you to our incredible producer, Jonathan Wong. Thank you to Michelle Yeoh, Jamie Lee Curtis, Stephanie Hsu, and our entire EEAAO family. And last but not least, I want to thank the most important person in my life, the one person that never stopped believing in me. My wife, Echo, I love you with all my heart. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I thought that was really nice. Uh, I really, uh, that made me feel good, seeing him so happy and uh, so appreciative, seemed genuinely appreciative for his uh, for his award. So we'll see what the ratings were like. It was, uh, as I said, you know, it was a very serviceable uh, Academy Award ceremony. The musical performances were good. The speeches were heartfelt. You had some uh, some sort of funny presenters. I thought uh, Lenny Kravitz did an adequate job in terms of the musical accompaniment to the In Memoriam. John Travolta, who clearly was going to be introducing the In Memoriam that featured both uh, Olivia Newton-John and uh, Kirstie Alley, two people that he had co-starred with and was very close to. He seemed to be visibly breaking up and visibly emotional during that whole thing. One of the con- so you always look for the controversies, and there were not many. No one really got political. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel made a George Santos joke after the Daniels, who won for Everything Everywhere All at Once for Best Director. They two guys named Daniel. They call themselves the Daniels. He said this is the first pair of directors to win an Academy Award uh, since um, since George Santos. So that was kind of funny. And then he, I think he made a joke about uh, film editing. That involved the January 6th footage. But uh, overall, I didn't see, I didn't notice any of the presenters or any of the award recipients getting excessively political or, or conversational or confrontational. But I like a little, I like a little controversial, you know. Uh, so you always look for these controversies. In terms of controversies, the only one that people are talking about is the best supporting actress category. In Best Supporting Actress, Jamie Lee Curtis won, and I was happy that she won, but uh, because, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis, first of all, she was very good in everything, everywhere, all at once, but also she's never won one before. She's been around Hollywood so far, so long, and she has been, uh, she's been uh, the child of Oscar winners. I know her father won an Oscar, I believe. Her mother may have won one as well. I think she referenced that in her speech. And it was nice to see. And uh, it's really not just a recognition of her work in this picture, 
but her work in recognition of a career that's been just tremendous. Now, one of the people that's being criticized, believe it or not, is Hugh Grant. He is being slammed for a pre-Oscars interview that he did. He's now the subject of a great deal of criticism after this, what they're describing as an uncomfortable red carpet interview. He did not seem pleased to talk to Ashley Graham. The carpet is no longer red, by the way. So it's a non-red carpet. So Ashley Graham's out there interviewing all the people as they arrive. And uh, she stops to talk with Hugh Grant. And she... uh, talking to you, Grant, and Hugh Grant didn't seem too pleased to be talking to her. Um, what are you most excited to see tonight? To see? Yeah, well, I know that you probably watched a few of the movies. Are you excited to see anybody win? Do you have your hopes up for anyone? Um, not, not, no, no one in particular. Okay, well, what are you wearing tonight, then? Just my suit. Your suit? Who yeah. made your suit? You didn't make it. Um, I can't remember. My tailor. That's okay. Yeah. Ta- shout out to the tailor. Yeah. Um, so tell me, what does it feel like to be in Glass Onion? It was such an amazing film. I really loved it. I love a thriller. How fun is it to shoot something like that? Well, I'm barely in it. I'm in it for about three seconds. <laughs> yeah, but still, you showed up and you had fun, right? Uh, almost. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. So you could tell, you know, so he's being slammed as a a bit of a jerk and people are saying this was one of the worst interviews I've ever watched on TV. Now, the questioning wasn't great, but if you're somebody that's used to being interviewed and you've been on talk shows for 25 years as a big part of your career, more than that, probably 30 years, I think you can you can make it a little bit more of an interesting interview than he managed to there. But he's being criticized for that. I'll tell you, one of the presenter's jokes that I did enjoy is Hugh Grant came up there to present an award with Andy McDowell, who still looks great. Hugh Grant looks pretty good, too. But Hugh Grant made a joke about how they're aging, the two of them. We're actually here to do two things. The first is to raise awareness about the vital importance of using a good moisturizer. Andy has been wearing one every day for the last 29 years. I've never used one in my life. Still stunning. Uh, Basically a scrotum. (laughs) So uh, a lot of people praised Ashley Graham, by the way, for her uh, treatment of Hugh Grant there, saying that uh, she deserves an honorary Oscar for putting up with, uh, with Hugh Grant. Oh, by the way, so I was talking about Jamie Lee Curtis. So Jamie Lee Curtis one best supporting actress for everything everywhere all at once but a lot of people and look this is my read on the situation are saying you know how they have all the actresses all the nominees pictures pictured when they read the winner a lot of people are saying that uh, Angela Bassett looked visibly nonplussed she gave like uh, if looks could kill Jamie Lee Curtis and the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences would be would be dead. Uh, so if you look at her face when she lost to uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, it's clear that she was expecting to win. And obviously she didn't. That's the only kind of controversy that I could think of. I was happy that Top Gun won one, at least one award. It won for Best Sound. I would have loved to see it win in some other categories. I thought it was a very entertaining film and a very well-made film. And a film that even Steven Spielberg has acknowledged probably saved Hollywood and the movie business. But um, uh, no wins for Elvis. I saw Elvis over the weekend. I'm going to give you my review 
about it. Uh, some people are saying that was a major snub, and some people are saying the Angela Bassett situation was a major snub. So if you saw it, uh, give me your two cents on it. Would you think? Would you like? Would you not like? 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. I might be the only person that still cares about this thing, but uh, I uh, I still do. What can you say? 800-848-9222. BJ is in Queens. Hello, BJ. Hey, Frank. Excellent analysis. Uh, I, I'm a little bit stronger about this. Uh, I think if you were uh, a, a woke minority or a woke liberal, uh, this was your year. But if you did a movie that depicted uh, the American male at his rawest and best, you got screwed uh, uh, vis-a-vis Elvis and also Top Gun. This is uh, this is definitely like a, a, a shadow of the great Oscar uh, uh, performances of yesteryear. I remember when Johnny Carson used to host and Billy Crystal used to host, and they'd have these great opening numbers. And uh, you knew very le- you didn't have social media then, so you knew very little about the stars personally. You knew just right. what the image was in the movie. So now you know everything about these people. You know how, I, I mean, the most intimate of, of stuff and stuff that you really don't want to know. Uh, I find these uh, interviews on the carpet just uh, uh, unwatchable. Uh, and and the whole thing is just, I, ultimately, it's it's going to be a YouTube channel uh, that uh, some YouTube influencer will cover. And uh, maybe it'll be a Zoom call. Uh, I don't what, the ceremony itself, you mean? Yes. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, I still you have 16 million people watching. Did you did you see everything everywhere all at once? Uh, I, I sat through the entire uh, broadcast uh, with my uh, fingers crossed. No, 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 the film, everything that won, everything everywhere oh, yes, all at once. Yes, I did. What, did, what yes. was your opinion of it? It's a very novel movie, but again, you know, it takes in advantages. I mean, there's there's a lot of people that couldn't watch that thing. Uh, I thought it was it was worthy. Uh, it was good. Was it Oscar worthy? I don't know. Well, um, I'm trying. To, I'm looking at the winners, and you know, I, again, I uh, I don't know much about that Indian film that won. Um, and I, I the, the elephant the, thing, yeah, the elephant no, the, whisperer. The uh, the performance that I saw, I thought was uh, was good by Natu Natu, but um, but uh, so maybe that's an example of wokeness. But what other what other winners? I mean, you had a bit a bunch of wins for All Quiet on the Western Front, which is a huge war picture, very much, you know, in keeping with the tradition of old war pictures. What did you find was... The only thing that I really found was sort of a victory for... I don't even know if you call it wokeness, but it is PC-ness, is the fact that Navalny, the documentary, won. I was in an Oscar pool, and I didn't see any of the documentaries yet this year, and I said, I know Navalny's going to win because it'll make Hollywood feel like they're doing something to support the Ukrainians and work against Putin, which is the, the narrative du jour. But other than that, I really didn't, uh, I didn't get the sense that, uh, that there was a lot of wokeness at play here, either in the ceremony itself or in the, uh, or in the movies that won. But uh, I don't know. No, maybe people feel differently. Thank you. 800-848-9222. I am sorry uh, that uh, that John Williams didn't win for the Fablemans. 
He would have been the oldest Oscar winner in history, and he's gotten more nominations, I think, than anybody except Walt Disney. He's a legend, and who knows how many—he's in his 90s now. Who knows how many Oscars he's going to have left? But yeah, All Quiet on the Western Front won a lot of awards, won for Best Original Score. It won for a number of others. Um, Everything Everywhere All at Once, another big winner. Um, and, uh, you know, best visual uh, avatar won only for, uh, uh, best visual effects, I believe. So 800-848-9222. If you want to comment, we'll continue. This is the other side of midnight straight ahead. The other side of midnight with Frank Morano. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. God, you made many, many poor people. I realize, of course, that it's no shame to be poor, but it's no great honor either. So what would have been so terrible if I had a small fortune? If I were a rich man, all day long I'd biddy biddy boom. If I were a wealthy man, I wouldn't have to work hard. If I were a pity, pity rich, idle, diddle, diddle, diddle man, I'd build a big tall house. This is Heim Topol, who was obviously the star in the cinematic version of uh, Fiddler on the Roof. This is the Heim Topol version, right, from the film? Uh, he passed away last week at the age of 87. He's phenomenal in that role. I really didn't know much of his other work, but it's funny. Um, I, I just looked up, looked this up. He was apparently left off of the In Memoriam section in the Oscars last night, which is a shame. But it's also a shame that um, Paul Servino whose wife, Dee Dee, I'm very friendly with. In fact, she's going to come on the show this week. Uh, she actually listens quite a bit. And, Dee Dee, if you're listening now, you're welcome to call in, 800-848-9222. Otherwise, we'll uh, make a plan for later in the week. Uh, Paul Serino, who's in some terrific Academy Award-winning and nominated films, was left out. I mean, here's a guy that was in Goodfellas. Here's a guy that was in Bullworth. Here's a guy that's been in some wonderful pictures over the years. And the father of an Academy Award winner, Mira Servino. So he certainly should have been included. Anne Heche also was uh, excluded from the In Memoriam section. And, you know, I was just looking, because I'm doing my best to try and find controversies to make the Oscar talk at least somewhat interesting. And you know who else was left off the in memoriam? Look, and I realize you can't include everybody, but Paul Servino should have been in there. Anne Hayes, I think, should have been in there. And someone who absolutely should have been in there is an actress by the name of Charlby Dean. Until 40 seconds ago, I didn't even know she was dead. She is one of the leading actors, actresses. She has one of the leading roles in the film Triangle of Sadness which is nominated for Best Picture. She had a leading role in it. And she died in August. Very sad. I didn't even know this. I'm sad now. It was the only movie I ever saw her in. Uh, A young woman. She was only uh, 32 years of age. And uh, it's a shame that she was excluded. You'd think 
somebody that's in one of the films that's actually nominated this year, I think uh, I think you would absolutely uh, include them. So that's a shame. Uh, by the way, I'm looking this up because this is a shock to me that she died. They did an autopsy because she died so young after she was admitted to the hospital in New York after not feeling well. And autopsy results confirm the actress died of bacterial sepsis. So that is just, that is a real shame. Uh, All right. Well, in other news beyond the Academy Awards, which you could still comment on, 800-848-9222, the military industrial complex is alive and well. First, there's one thing I do want to mention, which I think is good for the United States and it's good for the world, quite frankly. And that is the fact that uh, Saudi Arabia and Iran, which have essentially been in a very, very tense Cold War with one another for the last seven years, they are restoring diplomatic relations with one another. Now, Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia and Iran have historically been major rivals. You have ideological differences. You have religious differences. You might think, oh, they're both Muslim theocracies. No, no, no. The difference between Iran and Saudi Arabia in terms of their views on everything is quite different. In Iran, they subscribe to Shiite, Shia Islam. In Saudi Arabia, they, they subscribe to Sunni Islam, and it's... Hatsfields and McCoys times 10. Well, there was a major agreement to restore diplomatic relations between Saudi Arabia and Iran. Now, why is that a good thing? It's good because the, the more the two countries that are at a, ready to you know, bomb one another at a moment's notice, the less they want to do that, the better it is for everybody. It's better certainly for the people in those two countries, but it's better for the United States. We're not going to get embroiled in a conflict. So that's great. They're at least they're not the best of friends just yet, but they're restoring diplomatic relations. Do you know who brokered this deal? Oh, you might think it was the United States because we used to do things like that. No, this was a deal brokered by China. So this was announced on Friday. This is a significant development not just because of the positive repercussions it can have on the region, but also of because who mediated it, China, and who didn't, the United States. This agreement to normalize relations is good news for the Middle East since the tensions between these two countries have been a driver of instability in the region and, quite frankly, all over the world. And so reduced, reduced tensions between Saudi Arabia and Iran, they can have positive repercussions in Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, and most important for us and for the people in the country I'm about to mention, Yemen. And the Saudi-Iranian tensions have had many ups and downs in the past 40 years, but this is the first time that they've agreed to lower the temperature through Chinese mediation. By not taking sides in the Saudi-Iranian conflict, China has emerged as a player that can resolve disputes rather than merely sell weapons to the conflicting parties. Now, not only does China get to, because they didn't pick a side like we did, we made clear we were firmly on the side of the Saudis, not only does this give them an opportunity to uh, have diplomatic global bragging rights, but it's also going to be 
influential for them economically. Both of these countries, Iran and Saudi Arabia, produce a ton of oil. You know who's using up a ton of oil with the billion people that are in their country right now? The Chinese. So the Chinese, because they brokered this deal successfully, they're now in a position to be able to buy oil from both the Saudis and the Iranians. Unfortunately, the United States has adopted an approach to the region that has essentially disabled us from becoming a credible mediator. Too often, Washington takes sides in conflicts and becomes basically a co-belligerent, as we've done in Yemen, which then reduces our ability to play the role of peacemaker. And so while many in Washington are going to view China's emerging role as a mediator here in the Middle, West, in the Middle East as a threat, The reality is that a more stable Middle East where the Iranians and Saudis aren't at each other's throats, it also benefits the United States. What should worry all of us, and it should worry the decision makers in Washington who don't seem worried about very much other than the military industrial complex getting a few less hundred billion here and there. What should worry Americans is if we become so deeply embroiled in the conflicts of our partners in the region that our maneuverability evaporates and our past role as a peacemaker is completely ceded to China. Can you imagine that? You talk about an upside-down world where countries feel more comfortable with a communist dictatorship with no human rights, with no religious freedom, that oppresses children, that steals intellectual property from everybody. They're now the ones that are trusted as a peaceful mediator, not the United States. So Washington should avoid a scenario where regional players view America as an entrenched war maker and view China as a flexible peacemaker. That's what we should seek to be, as far as I'm concerned. Now, on a positive note, well, somewhat positive, Matt Gates, who I have to tell you, I am liking more and more. Uh, Matt Gates, if you're not familiar with him, He is a conservative Republican from Florida, a congressman, a young man. He was embroiled in a in a sex scandal and um, no charges, though. His name was dragged through the mud. He didn't get charged. I would venture to say the DOJ and the media that covered him, including The New York Times, owe him something of an apology. But I like that he's a maverick. I like that he you know, he's much more conservative than I am. But I like that he's willing to kind of march to his own drummer to some extent. So anyway, last week. He proposed a resolution to bring troops home from Syria. And unfortunately, that resolution failed despite a bipartisan vote. Um, Support came from a very interesting mix of mostly progressives and right-wingers. Do you remember my interview with Ralph Nader the other day? Or maybe, I guess, by now it's two weeks ago. I asked Ralph Nader because he wrote a a book where he talks about convergence of issues on which the left wing and the right wing can work together without compromising any of their own values. And I said, are you hoping that this happens on, and I mentioned a couple issues. And he said, well, I hope so. We'll see what happens. Well, this was an example of the left wing and the right wing working together to try and stick it to the military industrial complex. 
Here was uh, here was Matt Gates talking about this resolution on Tucker Carlson the other day. The 2001 authorization to use military force against Afghanistan and the people who were involved in the 9-11 attacks, they believe actually justifies U.S. troop presence in Syria in 2023. It's like they think that document is a global permission slip for every neoconservative fantasy to try to turn uh, these despot places into Jeffersonian democracies by weaving together sand and blood and Arab militias. The reality is far different. In Syria and in Iraq, we have actually funded a good amount of ISIS by giving weapons and training to some of these entities and then watching them shift their alliances faster than the shifting sands. The United States of America is not a Middle Eastern power. We are an Atlantic power. We are a Pacific power. And for us to try to nose ourselves into the Middle East, I think has been a disaster for my generation. It has spanned multiple presidencies. And I'm going to continue to force votes in Congress to bring our troops home from these faraway places where the mission is as unclear as it is in Syria. Good for you, Matt Gates. I agree with every word he said there. And I'll tell you, I'm glad that you're seeing people on the right and the left start saying these things. And you know what? The one presidential candidate that I think gets this so far is Donald Trump. If I vote for Donald Trump, it will be primarily because of foreign policy. And he gets it on foreign policy. So in the end, there were uh, there were 56 Democrats that voted for this. 47 Republicans that voted for for this. A very odd mix of people on the left and the right. Many of the most prominent members of the Progressive Caucus all supported it. Among Republicans, um, most of the conservative members, many of the uh, Freedom Caucus, a lot of the people that have also voiced skepticism over Washington's continued funding of Ukraine, more than half of those who voted yes on this bill were also among the 30 signatories of J.D. Vance's letter that called for increased transparency on financial support to Ukraine. So... I'm glad that Matt Gates is out there. I'm glad that he forced a vote on this. And I'm disappointed that uh, that my member of Congress and most of them ended up opposing this resolution. It's time to end this military adventurism in countries like Syria, as far as I'm concerned. So I was glad Matt Gates said what he said there. 800-848-9222. Speaking of presidential candidates, I just I have to mention uh, I have to mention uh, the Mike Pence situation. Well, we'll save that in in a bit. Um, well, before we leave Matt Gates, Matt Gates was I'm like you can see why I'm liking this guy more and more. He was on Greg Kelly's show on Newsmax TV the other day, and he said some very interesting things on another subject. Listen to what he said here. Do you believe in UFOs? What's going on with uh, these things lately? What, what can you what can you tell us? I have seen evidence of craft that I am not familiar with any of our allies or adversaries or even our country possessing. I've seen that craft taken by air crews who have gotten quite close to it. And we've got a lot more questions about why this information isn't more broadly available to the American people. If there's stuff flying over our skies and we don't know about it, whether it's Chinese, whether it's unworldly, I think we need a lot more transparency. And we've actually got a group of Congress members together that are going to be conducting a lot more investigations and trying to get this information before the public so that we can uh, have a a lot more assessment of the threat level and the risk level. And the last thing I'll mention, and by the way, those of you that are interested in why these banks keep failing, we're going to get into that in a few hours with uh, Simon Constable. 
The last thing that I'll mention, one likely presidential candidate made a lot of news on uh, over the weekend. On Saturday night, former Vice President Mike Pence seized the spotlight at the Gridiron Dinner. Are you familiar with the Gridiron Dinner? The Gridiron Dinner is basically an event where you, you tell jokes. And it's basically like every, all these politicians, all these people that you normally just see on the Sunday shows, they all become Don Rickles. They roast one another. It's usually, and, and uh, Pence made a, a bunch of, of self-deprecating dad jokes uh, about his reputation as a deeply religious man, musing at one point that, I always wanted to be the bad boy, the rebel type, the hellraiser. You know, someone like Mitt Romney. And uh, he also joked that he was late because uh, he had to drop a few more boxes over at the National Archives. But the big headline of the evening was Pence slamming former President Donald Trump in what amounts to his strongest criticism to date of his former running mate. This is what he said, and these were not jokes. And this is usually not the forum for this. This is what he said, quote, because you think about it, he did all these interviews. He wrote a book and he was kind of he was critical of Donald Trump, but he wasn't over the top critical of Donald Trump. Listen to what he said. History will hold Donald Trump accountable for January 6th. Make no mistake about it. What happened that day was a disgrace And it mocks decency to portray it in any other way. President Trump was wrong. His reckless words endangered my family and everyone at the Capitol that day. Now, this was just days after Tucker Carlson suggested that the January 6th attack on the Capitol was a peaceful protest by sightseers, not insurrectionists. And last night or Saturday night, Pence pushed back hard on that narrative. He said, tourists don't injure 140 police officers by simply sightseeing. Tourists don't break down doors to get to the Speaker of the House. Tourists don't threaten public officials. And then the former vice president did something else that caught the room by surprise. Now, keep in mind who's in this room. It's the members of the Washington press corps. He praised them. You know, President Trump has frequently called them the enemy of the people and fake news. And... um, he Pence specifically applauded their coverage of January 6th. He said, we were able to stay at our post in part because you stayed at your post. The American people know what happened that day because you never stopped reporting. And then he says, I don't deny that you infuriate me and I'm sure I infuriate you, but I genuinely value what you do to keep us a democracy. So in in the room, apparently, the serious nature of his remarks took the attendees by surprise. And uh, look, they're expecting jokes. And he has this reputation for fawning over Trump and essentially acting as his yes man. He even joked about that. He said in their weekly lunches, he uh, liked when the former President Trump liked when Pence would sing Wind Beneath My Wings, specifically the phrase, did you ever know that you're my hero? But last night, Pence indicated something very different about his 2024 race, a willingness to challenge Trump in a way that no other Republican presidential hopeful so far has. You haven't heard this kind of rhetoric from DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, 
Mike Pompeo, they kind of criticized Trump around the margins, but nobody has said what Pence did here. And I'm curious how you think this is going to wake out, make out uh, for him. Did he just commit political suicide or is he trying to claim the only lane that's available to him? What do you think? 800-848-9222. We'll take your calls in a moment. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. from the film Top Gun Maverick. She did not win. She was nominated for Best Original Song. I love this song. I'll tell you, I love that whole picture. And uh, I thought that, um, I thought this was, uh, I thought this was just a great song in a great picture. By the way, Matt, speaking of music, the ver- they're saying the version that we played from Fiddler on the Roof was sung by Zero Mostel and not, uh, and not Topol. Yeah, I was about to tell you that. But you, when <laughs> I asked you before, you said well, yes. Well, because in the system, it doesn't show what it where it's from. And then I looked. We have a couple of different versions. And then I actually did go and find it and went, oh, yeah, that's not the oh, one. Good. And then I went to tell you. All right. Well, before before the uh, the face group all right. came out. Z- Zero Mostel also. Uh, is, that's is, from the original broadcast. Yes. Broadway. Right. I thought musical. So. He's also dead, so I guess it's okay to play his version as well. 800-848-9222. I'll tell you, so uh, one of the things that, um, that you know, I was at this uh, St. Patrick's Day party that my neighbor John Charles threw on Saturday, and I gave up booze for Lent. You want to talk about a test of willpower? Uh, <laughs> it's going to a St. Patrick's Day party and being the only sober person. There was one other sober person that gave up booze for Lent. Other than every, even my wife, who never drinks, she had I think three three beers. So it was still a fun party, but it's a much tougher party to share in the revelry with than than if I was uh, than if I was drinking. But I'm sure our host John Charles uh, went to a lot of effort, and his mom actually lives across the street from him, and meaning she lives next door to me. Isn't that funny? He bought the house that his mom grew up in, and he lives right across the street from his mom. Can you imagine? And uh, Deborah, now a big listener to this show, listens regularly, apparently. All right. Um, 800-848-9222. Mary in Virginia. Hello. Good morning. How are you today? Good. Thanks, Mary. you got about a minute. It's all yours. Okay. Mike Pence. Now you know you have why he has flies in his hair. He's a piece of crap. 
<laughs> you think this was an act of disloyalty? Exactly. Do you think he really feels this way, or do you think this is a political calculation on his part? He thinks he's uh, he's going to be the next president. So you think it's political? You don't think it's it, necessary? It is, it is all political. Um, just like everybody, you know, you might as well say he's another, uh, what's that fellow's name from? Mick Romney. Ah, Willard Mitt Romney. Yeah, thank you, uh, Mary. You know, it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out. Will this get him some cash from the Never Trump crowd? I don't know. All right, until next hour, help control the pet population, get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. So I read this article on the paper the other day, Saturday, I believe. It could have been Friday. I don't know. Um, and this is not unique. I see this all over the place. It's rare that you see this as pronounced as the article that I read on Saturday. Headline in the New York Post, Swine and the City, Pet Pig Named Franny Stops Traffic in New York City. And then you open the article And there's all these images of this woman in Brooklyn walking around this giant pot-bellied pig. And pigs are not allowed as pets in New York City. And I suspect in most cities they're not. Now, we can have an argument about whether or not that's a good idea or a bad idea. I tend to think it's probably a good idea. But she's able to get away with it because they say that Franny is an emotional support pig. Now, I I think my record on loving animals is very clear. My record on standing up against animal abuse, my fondness for animals and service animals specifically is, it goes back, that might be the thing that I've been most consistent on in the totality of my broadcasting career. You you want to talk about a seeing-eye dog? I can absolutely see a seeing-eye dog getting the run of wherever he happens to go. They, they, they're wonderful dogs. They're very well-behaved. They're, they're great, and they provide a real service for blind people. And I just think that this moniker of emotional support animal is way, way overused. I am seeing this used all the time for dogs, for pets of all sorts. They get a certificate or something. I don't even think you have to get a certificate. I think it's a very loosey-goosey process. But you basically just call your pet an emotional support animal, and you could take them with you whatever wherever you want. In hotels, in restaurants, just say it's an emotional support animal. Now, again, I'm not questioning that animals can provide a lot of emotional support. But honestly, isn't every pet an emotional support animal? 
I think the idea that you're violating rules about where you can bring animals and using a provision that's carved out for animals like seeing eye dogs and you're using them for your emotional support pig or your emotional support ferret or your emotional support chimpanzee, I think this is just absolutely crazy. And I thought a couple of years ago they were going to crack down on this, but this woman is still walking around with this pig. You got this black and white spotted emotional support pig named Franny. She struts it up and down her neighborhood on a pink leash, stunning the people walking by. In winter, this this very fashionable hog even wears sweaters. Everyone's in disbelief when they first see this this hog. One day, an Amazon driver stopped in the middle of the street and got out of the truck just to get a better look. They couldn't even believe it was a pig on the sidewalk. This pig literally stops traffic. He weighs more than 200 pounds, and he's been living in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn, since November, despite a city law prohibiting pigs from being kept as pets in the Big Apple. But she's an emotional support animal. And apparently Franny's owner says it's okay with her landlord. So I think we really need to do something about this. Now, my my friend Tony Avella, and he is my friend, when he was in the state Senate, he introduced legislation 10 years ago to legalize pet pigs weighing under 200 pounds, but the bill never passed. So as it stands now, you still can't have a pet pig in New York. But they get away with it, claiming it's an emotional support pig. I think uh, I think this is crazy. And not just with pigs. I am so sick of pet owners using this emotional support loophole to take animals where you're not supposed to. I, you, know, you know who I've noticed it's most pronounced with? Very tiny dogs. Women especially. They love taking their tiny dogs into places and saying that uh, it's an emotional support animal. And it's not. I mean, it is, but it, it, it's not providing the same vital service that, say, a seeing-eye dog is. And I have had friends that do this. And I don't think it's right. There's got to be something done about this. What do you think? 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. I know a bunch of you are holding on other issues as well. We're going to get to as many of you as we can here. Let me. Carol's been patiently holding. Hello, Carol. Oh, hi, Frank. Oh, I love the Oscars. I thought that almost all the awards were deserved. And I, I'm a World War One aficionado, and I'm so happy that All Quiet on the Western Front won the awards that they did. Well, I didn't see the picture yet. Did you see it? Yeah, I did, actually. And how did you like it? Fantastic! Well, Wonderful. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna check it out uh, because uh, I know it's available on Netflix, and I, I'm definitely gonna check it out. Uh, what did you think of the ceremony itself? Right, it was pretty uneventful. Yeah, you're right. It was uh, calm and quiet. Well, maybe that's after what happened with Will Smith. Right, right. But we'll see what the ratings. And, we'll see what the yeah. ratings reflect, Carol. Thank you. I think you need a little edginess. Maybe it's a comedian that tells jokes that make people a little uncomfortable. You know, slapping obviously goes a little too far. 
But I think you need some little bit of edginess, a little little bit of controversy, right? I think that helps. But it helps my entertainment anyway. 800-848-9222. Norman is in in Brooklyn. Hello there, Norman. Hello, Frank. Yes, uh, full disclosure, I'm a major pig lover. Major pig lover. Yeah, I, I love them. Uh, that's not just a regular pig. That's a that's a polka dot exotic variety. Um, yes, Frank. I, I, I the thing with the uh, service animals and whatever emotional support. Yes, it's being abused. That uh, yes, it certainly is. But uh, I don't know. It seems well cared for. It's giving her love and uh, not hurting anybody. So I don't have a problem with it. Uh, well, but what about the fact that the current law in New York City is that you're mm-hmm. not allowed to have pigs as pets, mm-hmm. and she clearly does. You no, know, there's there's a lot. If you're going to be that way, Frank, there's uh, the current law is you got to pay your subway fare and your bus fare, and well, I get on the bus every day. I'm all for I, enforcing I, yeah, that yes, as well. Yes, I hear you. In a law and order society, I guess you're right, Frank. But uh, I don't know. It's it's not going to catch on. Uh, scores and there are you know there are difficult pet to take care of. Well, uh, I co-owned one. Yeah, no, <laughs> My friend no, had one in Long Island. So Norman, put the pig issue aside for a second. Yep. Do you agree that people are abusing mm-hmm. this status of emotional mm-hmm. support animal to bring their dog or their pet of whatever kind into mm-hmm. places that dogs normally wouldn't be permitted? Yeah, they are, Frank. I, I listen. I'm not gonna. Yes, they are, and that's uh, you know when you go to Europe, you you see a lot more people bringing their pets into places that they never would in the U.S. I mean, you know, like when I go to Vienna, my mother's country, you know, people all the cafes they have dogs underneath them. You can't do that in New York. Um, yeah, it's it, it is being abused, Frank. But you know, I see so much abuse of everything going on around me that I don't know a little piggy. A little, a little, a little exotic piggy that seems to be very well cared for doesn't bother me. But yes, you do have a point, Frank. Fair I, enough, Norman. Yeah. Thank, thank you. I, I, I want to be clear. I'm not just talking about this pig. I am talking about the issue of pet owners abusing this status of emotional support animal all the time, not just for pigs, but for dogs and for a bunch of other things. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Ronnie is in New Jersey. Hello, Ronnie. Hey there, Mike. Listen, uh, I agree with you 100%. But I got to be honest with you. It's not that like we're overcome by this. It's like one person out of maybe 20,000. And I don't see what the big deal is as far as a pig or a ferret and all that. And I understand as far as hygiene, as far as health, like in restaurants and stuff like that. But if the animal's not hurting somebody, then I think the way they should make the ruling is that if a person wants to bring an animal with them, then they have to sit where they're provided outside other people if they need that animal to eat somewhere. Let them sit outside and eat with the animal. And if they can't do that, then they can't bring the animal. Well, I mean, that strikes me as a very reasonable accommodation, but I think that's something that maybe we should change the state law or the city law. I don't think we should let people skate just by using this service animal loophole. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Eddie in Nassau has been holding. Hello, Eddie. Yeah, good morning, Frank. Hey, Eddie. one question. What about if your pet rock was a chunk of uranium? 
I wouldn't want people bringing that in as a service animal either. Well, to get back to what Mike Pence said, I always recall what the chiropractor said to Mike Pence when he said, I'm sorry, Mr. Pence, I cannot help you because you, sir, have no spine. Oh, snap. You know, I would never vote for Mike Pence. Um, but primarily because I don't agree with Mike Pence's politics, right? I, 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 among other things, right? But I always thought, and I, st- I, I still want to think that he was a very honest guy, a very honorable guy, a very um, religious man, a man that was guided by God. And look, it, we, I know some people, I people got upset when Eric Adams said that about the political arena. Maybe some people don't want that, but I think it, it's not the worst thing to have that. I Again, I would never vote for the guy because there's legitimate disagreements between us, but I always thought he was of esteemable character. Now, the fact that he's saying this about Trump now, that he's looking to run for president against Trump, I think is very interesting because... One, it can be construed as disloyal because Trump gave him the opportunity of a lifetime, gave him a place in history to be the vice president. Two, if this was really how he felt, if this was really his conscience, and this is really the story that he wants to tell, then by all means, say it. You know, I, you didn't have people banging on the radio station door saying, hang Frank Morano. I'm sure it was a very trying thing. But. Why are you saying it now? Why are you waiting until just a couple of months before you make an official decision on running for president? Why are you saying that in March of 2023? Why not say that on January 6th of 2021, January 7th, January 8th? Kind of where have you been for the last two and a half years? And if this is how you feel and this is the story that you want to tell, by all means, tell it. Why are you resisting subpoenas on this front? Why not simply comply with the subpoena and give your take? That's why I'm thinking this is maybe more of a political calculus. I think this is a political calculus. I think Mary in Virginia was on to something there. 800-848-9222. Mike is in Woodside. Hello, Mike. Hey, Frank. You know, uh, Pence is kind of hamming it up there. Uh, oh, excellent. Excellent. With a pet pig that uh, rather in this part of uh, New York, if she walks around with a pet pig, they love pigs here. We call it lechon. We baste it. We cook it for <laughs> three, four, five hours, you know. But no, p- pigs are hard to take care of. Pigs are really hard to take care of because... Uh, whatever they eat in comes out. And fortunately, uh, it doesn't always come out in the nicest way. So, you know, pigs are not exactly the best pets. Having, you know, been raised on an island where there are a lot of pigs and we do take care of pigs and we do have them for pets, but later on, we do uh, pet them in different ways and, um, and uh, you know, make them tasty and, uh, you know, have a luau. Well, look, thank you, Mike. Look, I get where you're coming from, but I think you can like pigs and not want to kill them and eat them and still recognize that this is a flouting of the rules here. As far as I'm concerned, it absolutely is. 800-848-9222. Hey, coming up in about 10 minutes, very excited about this. I'm uh, going to talk with my old friend Todd Lipscomb. Todd Lipscomb wrote a terrific book 
uh, it's over 10 years old now, but it's more relevant today than ever. In fact, I just went back and reread some passages of it, and it's amazing how prophetic this book is. It's called Remade in the USA, and he is on a one-man mission to restore American manufacturing and take it back from places like China. And I'm very much looking forward to that conversation. He's also got a great book, a great website where you can buy Made in American Goods. So that's coming up in about 10 minutes. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Larry in Brooklyn. Hello, Larry. Yes. Hi, Frank. Now, in terms of this uh, emotional support, animal law, of course, it it has to have limitations. I wouldn't want to be sitting in a kosher restaurant and have somebody walk in with a pot belly pig because it's an emotional support animal. I mean, there has to be limitations. But having said that, okay, I would much prefer that society go in an eccentric direct in this eccentric direction and then then in allowing um, allowing, uh, let's say, drag queens into classrooms. I'd rather have a potbelly pig in my kosher restaurant than a dra- drag queen in a classroom because it could do less damage, even well, though it's objectionable. I, I know, so, but I don't think they're saying to I, I don't think they're saying to lawmakers. All right, you have a choice of either allow pigs to walk free on the street, or if you don't do that, then we'll we'll put drag queens in classrooms. I, it's not a it's not a drag queen or pig type of situation. No, but in terms of your objecting to it, when you when you have citizens objecting to something, you have to have priorities, don't you? I mean, this law, this emotional support law, is very valuable because there are people that will not take their their pets on planes because they have to put them in the cargo department. So the difference is, if you call them an emotional support animal, they get to sit right next to you, and yeah, that could change your whole life. I know, but it, to me, and thanks, Larry. To me, it's cheating. To me, it's skating. It's 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 gaming the system and i don't think that's right what you i mean there should be one standard for all pets there shouldn't be one standard for pet owners that are being honest and another pet standard for pet owners that are claiming their dog or pig is an emotional support animal it's not right not right 800-848-9222 it's gonna ruin it for everybody else is what it's gonna do and what's happening now and by the way i just checked this is according to nyc.gov that emotional support animals and service animals are not considered pets. It also says any animal that is legal to own in New York City. But what I'm saying is, well, okay, well, that's interesting. But what I'm saying is, they're, they're, people take their pets and they just call them that, emotional that's support exactly and right. they really are their pets. That's exactly right. When they're not and supposed I know people to be pets. That have done this. Oh, I know people I do that too. do this. And they also says that any animal that is legal to own in New York City can qualify as an emotional support animal and it does not need to be trained to complete specific tasks. So that means if you can't own a pig, you can't have it as an emotional support animal. Well, then how is she getting away with this? Unless they made an exception, it's saying that you have to go through DSS, DHS to have a RAR, which means the, re- the reasonable accommodation request to reside with the person. So either she said that her landlord was okay with it. Well, maybe she didn't really go through the proper legal channels. I I am very suspicious of uh, this particular pig. I mean, think about it. If you're a cop and you walk up to this woman and she goes, oh, it's my emotional support right. animal. You just go, oh, okay. And you're not going to do anything. You're not going to But where does it stop? What if she's got an emotional support crocodile? Right. Well, that's yeah, that'll be the next thing. Eight hundred somebody walking around with a tiger. Nine two two two. Gina is in Brooklyn. Hello, Gina. 
Hi, Frank. Hi. Frank, I agree with you. I don't think people should be abusing this at all with the support animals. And and it does make it bad for other people who really need it. But people are always trying to get over. I, I'm a New Yorker in Brooklyn all my life, and I see that some animals are better behaved than some people. Well, I, I mean, you're exactly right. I've certainly seen, seen some people at restaurants or movie theaters that uh, that I would happily uh, trade f- for Franny the pig or any other animal. But uh, I, I still think that there's just too much abuse of this going on. Well said, though, Gina. Thank you. Uh, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Rich is in Manhattan. Hello, Rich. Hi, Frank. Hey. Um. So we're really uptight about the animals in restaurants, supermarkets, things like that. Um, I, I agree nobody should be breaking the rules. But on the other hand, uh, I've broken the rule myself. I'm guilty. But Well, what is your animal? Explain to me. Well, you know, number one, you know, it's New York City. We have pets. They keep us company. They're our friends. What What is the health risk of bringing my dog into a supermarket? You know, we used to have smoking sections in restaurants. Secondhand smoke killed people. And why couldn't we have... Why couldn't we have um, a dog section in a restaurant? I mean, what is the health risk? Well, I worked all, in a the, kitchen once in the, a restaurant. It's disgusting back there. Oh, I bet. Cockroaches. I bet. You know, but just tell me, explain it to me, because that's the argument people make. It's a health risk. Okay, well, tell first me, of all, what the, is the health risk? I'm, I'm about to. There are many restaurants that openly allow dogs or and yes. other pets. You know, for instance, a restaurant that I really love in Cape May, the Rusty Nail, they yeah. they have dogs in there all the time. They have menu right. items for the dogs. There's other restaurants yeah. that have dogs. I think that's great. What if yeah. though? What if though you have an allergy to dogs or cats, and you go into a restaurant that's supposed to be dog free, and all of a sudden right. it's got someone's emotional support dog next to you? Yeah, I hear you. So you know, typically allergies to pets mean you need to be exposed to the pet. You have to touch the pet. You, you have to be in physical contact to the pet. Um, it's true that if there's dander floating around, but the, the likelihood of that is pretty low. I, I, Most people who have allergies to pets really need to be in contact with the pet. And so, it, and even if that were true, what you just said, then what about just a section where you could have your well, pet? I think. If I mean, a, in I Europe, think if a restaurant people are wants... not dying all over the place in Europe. I yeah. mean, I've been to Europe. I've been to restaurants. Rich, I think don't... if a restaurant wants to do that, that's great. I think restaurants think so. should be be do, do that on their own. I'm not trying to keep dogs out of restaurants. I'm trying to keep um, dogs out of restaurants where, much to Snoopy's chagrin, there are no dogs allowed, right? So I'm just asking that people not um, use this emotional support loophole to sneak I their agree pets with, into I do. I agree with it. I, I do agree with you. Were you. I abuse it. We're abusing it. it. It is abused. I think we ought to change the rule, change the law. Because I don't see what the health risk is. I, I don't. You, your point about the allergy thing really doesn't cut it with me very much because you have to really touch the animal to get 
Get to have well, dealers yeah, reaction. Right. But if you go into a restaurant where there's a reasonable expectation of having an animal free meal, and then, you know, you're sitting next to uh, uh, two young women who have brought their emotional support uh, dogs, especially if they're of the yeah. high pitched, yipping, barking variety, oh, it, I, it can I, be. I, a it, well, like, an, like a screaming child. I mean, it, yeah. it's well, that's fair. really terrible. And I think people have a responsibility, and that would be a, a sticky wicket. I agree with you. You have yapping dogs and then take the dog out because it's not fair for anybody. Um, so I'm, I'm, I, 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 the law is gray. I mean, the law is clear, but the, it, it's a gray area a little bit. But I think if the dog is well behaved, the dog is going to be pooping all over the floor, and the dog is going to be yapping. Uh, what? What? Why? Why are we so uptight about that? And yeah. you know, and and bring the dog to the supermarket. What's the big deal? Like again, uh, you know, provided the dog's not like pooping all over the place, which is just kind of disgusting to look at. Although it's all over the sidewalks. I mean. So what, there's just not a health risk is what is all I'm saying. Yeah, I agree R- with you. It's abuse. Rich, it, thank it, you. Thank you, Rich. Uh, my issue is not primarily a health one. But so, so far in a 90-second conversation, we just mentioned three potential hazards of having dogs at, say, a restaurant where there's not supposed to be dogs. If you go to a restaurant where there are dogs, then, then you, and you know there are dogs, great, fine. A lot of people love dogs. But allergies is a very real issue, and I think some people are much more sensitive to these allergies than than Rich believes. Two is the barking. The barking, like a screaming child, is another. And the dog doing its business in certain places is another issue. All right. um, Let's talk manufacturing. How can we get it back here to the United States? Todd Lipscomb has some ideas. We'll get into it in a moment. If you want to comment on anything we're talking about, you're welcome to give me a call, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Zeppelin singing hot dog. Certainly nothing more American than the hot dog, is it? Well, 
Years ago, the same thing could have been said in the rust belt of the good old-fashioned American factory. But a funny thing has happened over the course of the last 30, 35 years. And gradually, the American factories have been closing. And the clothing that we're wearing, the footwear that we're wearing, the toys that we're buying, the electronics that we're purchasing, almost everything has labels that say made in China, made in Taiwan, made in Mexico, made in Malaysia, made somewhere that isn't the United States. Now, the free traders say, what's the harm? This means bigger corporate profits. This means uh, lower prices for American consumers. You think you'd be able to go to Walmart and get these kind of prices if everything wasn't made in China? Well, Somebody that uh, believes that maybe there is some harm to uh, the demise of American, or at least decline of American manufacturing, is Todd Lipscomb, uh, somebody that uh, I've admired for a long time, whose book I read about 12 years ago when it came out. It's called Remade in the USA, How We Can Restore Jobs, Retool Manufacturing, and Compete with the World. Todd, it is great to talk with you again. How have you been? Frank, it's great to be back. Yes, I'm doing really well, and our effort's going really well, too. Great. Uh, We're going to talk with you about uh, what you're doing at Made in USA Forever uh, in just a bit. But um, give people a little bit of an idea of your background. When were you've got a lot of experience in international business, what was your sort of career profile? What were you doing uh, prior to making restoring American manufacturing your, your cause? I lived in Asia twice for a total of over seven years working for a USA tech company. And, Frank, I saw it all. I mean, they're cheating us blind over there. It's it's a fact. I mean, the conditions, the factory conditions, the pollution, it's dangerous what they're doing. And especially China, they'll do anything to get our factories. It's a very long-term game on their part to put themselves into power as the next world superpower and take us out of the picture eventually. I mean, it's a fact. We, and we've got to stand up for our own nation, too, and our own jobs. And um, give folks an idea of mm-hmm. where American manufacturing is today, say, to compare, comparing it to where it was around 40 or 50 years ago. You're absolutely right that it's much, much less. But uh, yeah, we have over 600 American suppliers on the site uh, that you mentioned, and we're supporting more and more every day. I think people are really waking up to this issue. The more people insist that where something is made matters, I think the more that these manufacturers will eventually uh, you know, wake up and smell the coffee. I mean, a lot of the costs involved are not even the labor. They're the avoiding the uh, pollution uh, te- you know, and cleanup issues. They're also avoiding, uh, you know, taxes, and they have tax subsidies in China to support unfairly exports to the USA. So, uh, so in terms of, so there yeah. has been though a decline in American manufacturing, right? 
Absolutely. And yes. What is what does that exactly mean for the American economy? Some people will say this is just the natural order of things shifting from a, a kind of a blue collar to a white collar economy, moving from a manufacturing based uh, sector economy to a service and uh, mm-hmm. s- uh, tech based sector economy. Why are why is that a faulty premise? We had the largest deficit in history last year, over a trillion dollars, Frank. And it's ludicrous to think that uh, we can switch over to, uh, you know, some sort of white collar, you know, only economy. And it, it, honestly, it's just a lie for the masses to try to get them on board with this. Uh, you know, why somebody who is just worried about their bonuses, you know, pushes this kind of ridiculous agenda. The USA needs good middle-class jobs, and that's what Made in USA produces and did produce and still can produce. Uh, Jobs that pay well, jobs that have meaning and purpose. You know, a lot of men that I know in their 50s or younger even are are lacking a purpose and resilience that we used to have. And I firmly believe a big part of this issue is because they used to be able to get a job where they could uh, you know, raise their family, maybe save a little bit, maybe send their kids to school. But now it's very, well, there's the haves and haves not. I mean, not everybody can be an engineer or a lawyer, Frank. I mean, we need jobs beyond that that also pay well that, uh, you know, have meaning and purpose for these guys. And there is um, obviously there are the people that love the cheap prices at places like Walmart. And if you go into mm-hmm. Walmart and you look at where those items are made, right. you see uh, almost all of them are made in China or some other some other mm-hmm. country other than the United States. Uh, what's what's the matter with that? Won't if we import start buying more American made goods, doesn't that mean we're going to have to pay higher prices? Usually the American products that I've seen with my years of experience with this issue last much longer. So, I mean, it may seem more expensive immediately, but if you pay 20% more and it lasts twice as long, that's a much better value in the long run. Yeah. So tell me what you did with your website here, madeinusaforever.com. Yeah. We've added suppliers you know, small, mostly family-owned suppliers from all over our great nation. Every single state. Yes, even New York still makes a lot if you really stop and look. And, so, uh, yeah, yeah, check it out. It's, uh, you know, products that you might have thought weren't made here for a long time. Of course, electronics and others are almost completely gone. But there's still lots of cool stuff made here in the States. And I think people are, are going to be very happy when they see it. Yeah, and if people haven't read the, your book yet, which I I hope they do, um, remade in the USA, and it's available on Amazon and um, most online booksellers. What are they going to learn in this book? Well, as you know, I was over there seeing things from behind the scenes, and I saw the horrific conditions, especially at the subcontractor, and I saw what was going on, you know, with these other nations. Our fr- even our friends over there are ripping us off. It's bizarre. And, you know, they really can't understand why we aren't smarter about this. And it's a ticking time bomb for our economy and our nation as as these as it gets hollowed out. And we're going to wake up one day. And it's like this signature bank and SVB suddenly disappearing on Friday or this weekend. You know, I, whoops, no, it's uh, there are long term, you know, issues that have been getting worse and worse that we should have dealt with, but didn't. 
Uh, and but we the people can take a stand. And as I said, you know, if somebody goes into the store and says, you know, hey, I would prefer made in USA, and I'm just not going to buy something from you today, you know, because of this. Or, and then they'd look online and they can find that there is stuff still out there. Those stores will listen. Those retailers will listen and they'll seek out these manufacturers. And, and it really makes a difference. In, uh, we're talking with Todd Lipscomb. If you're interested in buying some products that are made in the USA, whether you're talking clothing, whether you're talking food, whether you're talking cookware, whether you're talking uh, children's toys, jewelry, uh, anything of uh, sports and outdoor wear, go to his website, madeinusaforever.com. One of the things that we hear, Todd, mm-hmm. when it's uh, Donald Trump or any other politician that tries to enact some sort of protectionist tariff to protect American industry so that they have a little bit of an advantage over foreign importers or foreign exporters that might be trying to sell the same product to the same consumers. One of the things we always hear is this is going to lead to a trade war and it's going to raise prices significantly for everybody. What do you say to that argument, Todd? You know, we didn't even have an income tax, Frank, until about 1919. Uh, before that, the federal government completely funded itself almost solely on tariffs. So it's really, I think, not a dirty word to consider. We, I mean, first of all, these other nations absolutely have tariffs, too. And they have formal ones, which are laws, and then they have informal ways to block out uh, you know, uh, for example, American farmers' uh, products like apples to Japan, they use all sorts of ridiculous rules and, and ways to block uh, exports to Japan. And um, we need to get smart about this stuff. It's, it's bizarre that we're being totally taken advantage of. Yes, yes President Trump w- has been talking about this also for many years, and I appreciate that. But it's time that we end being taken advantage of by supposedly our friends and partners or at least someone that wants to trade with us and, and take a stand for our nation, too. It, um, I mean, will it, could it lead to more trade wars? Possibly. I mean, are more trade wars coming anyway? I mean, as soon as the Chinese figure out that we're not going to pay them back, are they going to keep loaning us all this money, you know, to, to buy all this junk? So, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, repercussions are coming one way or another. And I think it's a lot better if we choose the time and place to, uh, you know, address these issues right now. In terms of um, the things that you think people are attracted to on the site madeinusaforever.com, what are you particularly proud of that people could purchase on here? You know, uh, one thing that we've had since we chatted, uh, I think, Frank, is this uh, San Diego company called uh, American Tuna, but they also have salmon. Mm. It's 100% uh, USA caught and canned tuna. There's, uh, that in the last five years in these cans, so in these troubles or if there's a lot of snow or whatever and people are stuck, I mean, they can, they can be sure to have some delicious food that's loaded with protein right there and ready to go. But there's, as I said, there's so many others, you know, like the jeans and the towels and uh, fun stuff like uh, cash candles that have uh, money buried in the wax of the candles. And, you know, check it out and see. I think folks will be pleasantly surprised from, you know, almost every angle. Uh, It's always a treat to talk with you, Todd. Thanks so much for joining me. 
Thank you, Frank. If you want to comment on any portion of my conversation with Todd Lipscomb, you're welcome to give me a call, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. If you have thoughts on this or anything else we've covered thus far. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. singing I Feel Better. I, first of all, I love this song. And you know what? No one has heard it. You, go, everyone knows Gautier, but they know him from that song, Somebody That I Used To Know. I, he was, I guess to some extent, a one-hit wonder, but I think this is a terrific song. And uh, you just listen to this, and uh, it really puts you in a good mood. It puts me in a good mood. Uh, just like doing this show. You know, I, I thought for sure... I was going to be in a crummy mood today because I didn't get any sleep uh, yesterday. Into The last sleep that I got was Saturday night into Sunday morning. And it was an hour less than usual because of daylight saving time. And I thought for sure, oh, I'm going to be fatigued. I'm going to be dragging. But uh, sure enough, I feel, I feel great. There's just something about being on the show and um, being able to talk to you that uh, it gives you just a tremendous amount of energy. I think everybody who does this feels that way. Almost everybody, I think. All right, 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on anything we're talking about. Uh, Tony is in Ozone Park. Hello, Tony. Hello, how are you doing? I'm well. I want to find out about Tensa. What's, what's, uh, what's, what's going on with him? Beg your pardon? Tensa. The vice president? Pence? Pence, yes. Well, I mean, you want me to repeat everything that I said an hour ago? No, I just want to know what what uh, what, what you would say about Donald Trump. What did he say about Donald Trump? Yeah. Well, again, Tony, I mean, if I, again, I'd love to do the show just on request for you. But, I mean, a lot of people were listening an hour ago when I went through his whole remarks at the gridiron dinner. I, you know, I don't want to I don't want to be redundant because, look, I look at the TSL numbers uh, at meaning the time spent listening, and we have enormous time spent listening. We have the highest time spent listening of any show on the station, meaning viewers, listeners stay with us much longer than they do most shows. You know, most radio shows, you come in, you sample, and then you go to work or you go do something else. People stick with us. So I'm sorry, Tony, that you weren't around an hour ago. But, um, yeah, I'll just say for people that did tune in late, Mike Pence was very critical of Donald Trump at the gridiron dinner. That's really? It. Right. All right. 800-848-9222. Robert is in Suffolk. Hello, Robert. 
Hey, Frank. Hey. This service animal thing, with these websites that give you the uh, vests and all this other stuff, they're all a scam. None of this stuff is recognized by the Department of Transportation or any other authority in the federal government or even state government. These websites, they'll register your pet, they'll give you all this stuff, and they could just take your money and shut down their website at any time. It's all a scam, man. Yeah, well, I mean, for... It doesn't even matter if the website stays open because these websites are not providing any ongoing support or maintenance for your service animal. They're basically just selling you a label that says service animal. Yeah, I say it's an emotional support animal. You register it on the website and they give you the stuff that claims it is, but it's not. Yeah, Uh, Robert, I agree with you. I completely agree with you. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Dylan is in New Jersey. Hello, Dylan. Hey, how you doing, Frank? I'm good. Um, Thanks. I just wanted to talk about factories in the U.S. because I work as a mechanic in a factory in Neptune, New Jersey. We make uh, sterile flush syringes. Oh. And we fill and package and sterilize. And I work on all the uh, production lines that, you know, make that make that possible. And I've worked in a few factories in my like short career, you know, I've been, I'm only 20 right now and I've worked in three factories already. I mean, it's flaky, you know, you have some, you get laid off, been laid off twice. I've been laid off from this place and came back after a while, you know, they brought production back and only reason being is because it's medical devices and that's why we have to make it in the U.S., you know. But we get all of our uh, blanks from Germany, and and uh, I think some of them are from New York, but Germany, I think some now are from China, some are from Mexico. So not all of it's, you know, all from the U.S., but, yeah. Well, so w- what's the takeaway from that, Dylan? W- I mean, I-, I think that's great that you're doing that, and I think it's great that we're still making some things in uh, in New Jersey but um i you know what what should we divine from that as a public policy matter or or anything else well i mean the takeaway from that is mostly what you're going to be looking at for american manufacturing now is going to be mostly fda regulated i stuff. see okay yeah. got it got it all right well that's great how long have you been doing that i have been working at this factory for 3 years now since i got out of high school I was out of high school. I was the COVID year, so 2020, you know, and I had gotten out of high school and I went to a vocational school and they hooked me up with this fantastic job as a junior mechanic. Then due to COVID and stuff like that, I got laid off from that place. And then they called me back about six months later. I was working at a different facility that actually processed human cadaver parts for implants. Oh my, wow. Yeah. I worked on those machines. That's crazy stuff in there but um they called me back and said you know what would it take to bring you back i said you uh you give me a little bit more and i'll come right back and they said absolutely so i got my uh you know back doing what i like better you know high speed production well that's, that's terrific what i went to school for that's terrific dylan thank you very much 800-848-9222 i'll get back to your calls in a moment 
Uh, I was, you know, I mean, again, I, I'm glad that I am feeling bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, genuine, genuinely. I mean, maybe it's that B12 that I that I took. I, I, t- I did take an extra dose of B12. Still no caffeine. I haven't been doing any caffeine uh, for starters because they say it's not great for heartburn. And uh, two, because uh, a week or two ago, I went to give blood and they said my blood pressure was too high. I got my blood pressure uh, tested yesterday. And uh, and it was fine. And it was, you know, much better. It was perfectly normal. I think it was uh, 131 over 81, but which is a little high, but you could still still give blood with that amount of uh, that blood pressure. And really, the only thing that I stopped doing was having caffeine. That's really the only difference. But um, even with no caffeine, I still feel great. I did tell my wife yesterday, though. You know, they have this thing called the Sunday Scaries, and I used to get this when I was in school. Where Sunday, you're just filled with a sense of dread for the workday tomorrow. Now, I don't have a sense of dread for the workday. What I have on Sundays is a fear of not being able to get all the work done that I have for the show. And then needing to, you know, essentially cram or be unprepared. And then not be able to get a nap in. So yesterday, we had a family party at my dad's house. It was a celebration of all the March birthdays. My father's a March birthday. His birthday's tomorrow. My uh, brother-in-law, Alexander's girlfriend, Marley, her birthday was a day or two ago. And my wife, Rachel's at the end of the month. So, uh, you know, they did a joint celebration for the three of them. So obviously that's not something that I can miss. But I will say, you know, it is very inconvenient for me to have these five or six hour celebrations on Sunday. And and I told my wife, I, I said, from now on, I think I'm turning everything down on Sunday. Every social inv- invitation, every family invite, unless it's absolutely essential or I'm already committed to it, I'm turning everything down on Sunday because it's just it's just too much. There's no way that you can, uh, as it is now, almost the only time that I can get work done is when Carmine's napping. And then so you you take away the limited opportunities that I have because I'm at family functions. And again, I had a great time, but you still do have this kind of looming, you need still to do this. You need to do that. You need to do this. You need to do that. There's all this work done. It's almost like for a regular person. And see, people that don't work these hours, they can't relate to it. But it's almost like if you if you have a regular nine to five job and someone's asking you, uh, to go to something at at 1 a.m., basically, right? I mean, because you think about it, that's exactly what it is. So at my dad's, the, everyone was supposed to gather at 2 p.m. Now, I'm on the air 11 hours later, 11 hours later. but And, of course, my brothers coming from Brooklyn, they were late, so things don't even really get kicked off, kicked off until 3 p.m., so... No one gets out of there until a quarter to eight. And then I wanted to watch the Oscars, so I'm working while I'm watching the Oscars. So I just wish that um, that they would make more of these social obligations on Saturday rather than Sunday. I, I really – I'm going to get much more strict with this Saturday uh, – with this Sunday situation. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Rick is in New Jersey. Hello, Rick. Yes, good morning, Frank. I'm just trying to figure out how do you get these TSL numbers? I know, uh, you know, like the Nielsen or whatever, 
they had a box just like my cable box. They know because it's connected to their hardwire, connected to the company when I change channels, how long I stay. But over the air on the radio, how do you guys know who's doing what? I can't figure that out. Well, I've explained this before, um, so I'm I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. But uh, in every radio market that we air in, in Baltimore, in Nevada, in in, uh, in Alaska, in uh, Tennessee, in New York, there are they there's whatever million people are listening to the radio in that audience. They pick a select group of people, say five thousand to represent every radio listener in that market. And out of those 5,000 people, they give them what's called a PPM device, and that device automatically picks up what you're listening to. Is it a perfect system? No. Uh, But that's the system that we go by. So it's uh, certainly much more accurate than the old diary-based system, which we used to use years ago. So it's those 5,000 or 6,000 listeners, however many it is in each market, that represent every radio listener in that market. The longer you those people listen, the longer the TSL. Until next hour, keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Uh, We are just moments away from giving a pat on the back to those that deserve a pat on the back. Uh, Very much looking forward to reading the list that I have spent a good portion of the weekend compiling and telling you about. But uh, first, let me try and get one or two quick calls in from people that have been holding. Simon in Brooklyn has been holding a while. Hello, Simon. How are you doing? I'm um, well, yeah, thanks. Thank Good. Good. So it's the Matt Gates story with um, about the Middle East and all that stuff. I think um, Israel, America has a best friend is Israel. I mean, they're the only ones allied they have is a true ally. And I think they could handle the whole Middle East today. And what you're saying with Saudi Arabia and China, I think China, Saudi Arabia is scared because the days on, I mean, I mean, Iran is scared of Israel coming in and, they, and, and taking their nuclear powers out. So that's why their Chinese are trying to calm things down. And it's not, you know, it's not, it's, it, this is all a gimmick just not to avoid getting the nuclear. So they're just trying to buy some time. And, uh, and you know, that's where I, I, what I believe what's going on here. Well, um, you may be right, Simon. I have a feeling uh, that there is some truth to uh, to what you're saying. Thank you. Ray is in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hello, Ray. Hello, uh, Frank. Uh, yes, in regards to the Ch- Chinese uh, negotiating the peace between Iran and Iraq, I mean, uh, sorry, Saudi Arabia, I think their ultimate aim is this. 
Well, with they China being buys, who? Saudi Arabia, Iran, or both? No, uh, China. I China. Think when, okay. Well, China, when they buy their oil from either Iran or Saudi Arabia, they buy it in petrodollars. That's based on our money. What the Chinese want to do eventually is have the yuan be the, the global currency. I think that when they get more influence in the Middle East, they're going to want to do that. And what would uh, what would stop that? What would stop it? What would stop the uh, the OPEC nations from wanting the yuan? So well, we, what we would have to do was buy yuan to buy oil. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point, and I think that's a very real concern. I may get into that with Simon Constable in about uh, twenty minutes. The uh, thank you for the call, Ray. The thing you got to keep in mind, though, is China lends us money not in yuan or renminbi. They lend lend it to us in dollars. So if if oil was no longer to be traded in dollars, that would lead to a tremendous devaluation of the American dollar. And as much as that would hurt the United States, because the American economy is so intermingled with China and because we owe China so much money and the amount of money because of interest payments on uh, on the debt that we're you know, that we owe to China is going up now that we're having real interest rates. They have no interest in destroying the dollar. So at least not now. I mean, going forward, if uh, our economies are further decoupled, then then they may, you know, look at a sort of a currency war to that end. All right. Without further ado, it is time for The Other Side of Midnight presents and uh, time for me to give a pat on the back to people that deserve a pat on the back. Let me begin with Shalong Pak Diviji. I hope that's how I'm pronouncing him, uh, name the name correctly. Shalong Pak Divichit is a film and TV director whose career spans more than seven decades. He has been named the world's oldest TV director at the age of 91 years old by Guinness World Records. At 91, this Thai man has been dubbed the world's oldest TV director after completing his most recent project. He is known as the king of action in Thailand, and he just became the world's oldest TV director with his eight, when his 18-minute, 18-episode miniseries, Sky Raider, completed airing last year. This is very impressive, and uh, I love mentioning stories like this because I think it's really an inspiration to all of us that would like to remain active into our 90s that, yes, you can still do good things and still accomplish things. I want to uh, commend the archaeologists in Egypt who have made a fascinating discovery They have unearthed an incredible, smiling sphinx of a Roman emperor. This is really wild. They've discovered a limestone sphinx statue with a smiley face and two dimples near a temple, which happens to be a well-preserved ancient site in that country, in Egypt. The find announced by the Tourism and Antiquities Ministry is just the latest In a series of discoveries made in recent months, researchers believe that the stylized representation of an ancient Roman emperor found inside a two-level tomb near the temple may be Emperor Claudius, who ruled from the year 41 to the year 54. Next to the beautifully crafted Sphinx, 
The team also found a Roman steel written in demotic and hieroglyphic script that once deciphered could shed light on the identity of the ruler. This particular temple temple is no is located about 500 kilometers south of Cairo because they do use the metric system there. So uh, kudos to all of the archaeologists that were involved in this particular excavation. Let me commend Cheerios. Cheerios is the most dominant cereal in the nation today. That's right. And uh, no no surprise, because my son loves Cheerios. Uh, I mean, all day long, he won't eat, he won't eat. Oh, here's some Cheerios, he'll have those. And sure enough, the largest cereal brand in the United States today is Cheerios with a revenue of $18.12 billion and 139.1 million boxes sold in 2021. After Cheerios, this did surprise me a little bit. I would have assumed it would have been cornflakes, but it wasn't. Number two after Cheerios was Frosted Flakes. Frosted Flakes. I would have thought it would be... Good old-fashioned cornflakes. Um, I'm not a big cereal person. If I were to have something, I like mus- mucilix, right? Mucilli or mucilix. It's, it almost tastes like you're eating granola. It's got fruits in there, berries. And even though I'm sure there's a ton of sugar in there, I don't eat it really. But if I had to pick one, that's what I would pick. I, I don't eat it. But I feel like if you do eat it, you feel like you're being healthy, even though you're eating just as much sugar as everybody else. Although shredded wheat is probably the healthiest of the cereals. All right, let me commend the new New York City Taxi and Limousine Commission chairman, David Doe. You know why? This guy is going to be the head of the agency, the TLC, that that regulates taxis and limousines and taxi, taxi drivers. You know what he's actually done? He's gotten his hack license so that he can find out what it's like to be a cabbie on the streets of New York. He passed his TLC driver's license exam, and he is pledging to do 100 hours behind the wheel so that he has an idea of what it's like to ride the streets, to take street hails, and that kind of thing. So be nice to your cabbie. He just might be the next chairman of the Taxi and Limousine Commission. I want to commend Michaela Schifrin. She set a world record as a champion skier with eight, her 87th career win four days ago. And that is now a world record, 87 career World Cup victories. This is extraordinary. Schifrin set the outright World Cup record for career victories by winning uh, an event on Saturday, breaking a tie with Ingemar Stenmark on the all-time winner list for men or women. The Swedish skier completed in the competed in the 70s and 80s. So now Ms. Schifrin is the all-time winner. 87 World Cup championships in skiing. This is really impressive as well. I want to commend Pranvi Gupta, a seven-year-old girl in India. She is now the world's youngest 
certified yoga instructor. I think this is great. I mean, she started practicing yoga with her mother when she was three and a half years old, and she's been certified as a teacher by the Yoga Alliance organization after completing a 200-hour training course. This is great. Seven-year-old yoga instructor. Very, I mean, her parents got to be really proud of her. I want to commend Mohammed Sabsab, a Lebanese man who built a wind turbine from recycled plastic, producing electricity for his families and for his family and neighbors. This is incredible. Uh, in Lebanon's windy northwest government of Akar, a literature student taught himself engineering. The guy is an autodidact, totally self-taught. He built a wind turbine on his grandmother's roof. So with government-supplied electricity more of a nice theory than a daily reality, solar panels have become ubiquitous in the region. However, this 25-year-old man used old water drums, steel beams, and a cartwheel to build a wind turbine to take advantage of the wind when the sun is behind the clouds. A French literature student, this gentleman dropped out of university when hyperinflation made it impossible for him to continue paying the fees. He used YouTube videos, books, and scientific articles to build the turbine that's working and producing electricity. He's hoping for a North Lebanon wind industry to crop up in the wake of his invention, which he says he wants to share with his neighbors. Anyone without solar panels is left without power for all but one or two hours during the day. And the wind turbines, which can be made from scrap, apart from the electronic uh, components or the electric components, they could be an easy solution. This is tremendous. I love this from every different perspective. I love that he taught himself this. I love that he's providing uh, power for his family. And I love that he's inspiring people to maybe take matters into their own hands when... When the government's not there for you. I want to commend K.J. Osborne, the wide receiver from the Minnesota Vikings, who saved a man from a burning car in a life or death incident. Uh, This is incredible. This 25-year-old NFL player was in an Uber when his driver saw flames on the side of the road in Austin, Texas on Saturday, on Sunday night, last Sunday. Speaking with uh, NFL Network's Good Morning Football, Osborne explained how the dramatic rescue unfolded. So Osborne and his Uber driver ran to the wreckage along with two other strangers, and the Uber driver yanked open the passenger door. So they didn't know if the car was going to blow up. So that's when Osborne picked him up. He's bleeding His blood was on him, and he carries him maybe 10 or 15 yards. The Vikings player said, despite playing football in front of millions of people, it could not prepare him for the pressure of this life-and-death situation. So I think this uh, this is great. This is, you know, he tweeted some images from the event and said, Most of the time, the saying goes, wrong place, wrong time. But this time, I believe God had me, us, at the right place at the exact right time. I would agree with them. They saved this guy's life. I mean, good for you. That's a lot of bravery on the part of uh, K.J. Osborne. Let me uh, commend Nick 
Axton. He just received, or should I say, Dr. Nick Axton. He just received his Ph.D., his doctorate, at the age of 76 years of age, more than 52 years after starting his Ph.D. He got his Ph.D. On mathematical, so in mathematical sociology at the University of Pittsburgh. He started it in 1970. After five years, he returned to the U.K. with the Ph.D. unfinished. The University of Bristol conferred on him a doctor of philosophy in front of his wife and 11-year-old granddaughter. So uh, I think this is great. Took him 50 years, but he finally got his doctorate. I want to commend Chicago. That's right. Chicago, Chicago, that toddling town, the town that Billy Sunday could not shut down. According to a new study... Chicago ranks as the best U.S. city for creatives. Yes, that's right. U.S. Chicago tops U.S. cities as the most livable cities for those in creative industries. The city's vibrant creative community makes it a world-class destination for tourists and art level art lovers. And Chicago ranks fourth globally behind Tokyo, London, and Paris among U.S. cities. Chicago narrowly beat out San Francisco, New York, and Los Angeles. The study looked at factors including salaries and expenses for artists, graphic artists, performers, and musicians, and other categories like the number of creative jobs available, the number of museums and art galleries, the number of green space and parks, and the availability of creative classes and workshops. And sure enough, Chicago is number one. And finally, I want to commend... The most popular national park of the year 2022. Well, technically, it's not even a park. It is the Blue Ridge Parkway. New data shows with a dozen parks recording more than 5 million visits each. Visitorship is up to our national parks, which is great. Parks you may expect to have high visitation numbers like the Grand Canyon, the Great Smoky Mountains... They did have high visitation, but not as much as one park, which is not exactly a park. According to the National Park Service, 312 million recreation visits were reported in 2022 across the 395 parks. Um, so Blue Ridge Parkway isn't exactly the park you envision when you think of Yosemite or Grand Teton. Instead, it's a series of forested lands connected to a 469-mile stretch of roadway traipsing through the Appalachian Highlands of Virginia into North Carolina's western tip. So near the parkway or within the wider Blue Ridge Parkway National Heritage Area, you're also able to see and find some of the oldest mountains in the world, as well as all sorts of other Tourist destinations like Mount Mitchell, New River, Whitewater Falls. So um, it's also the longest road planned as a single unit in the U.S., according to the National Park Service. The Blue Ridge Parkway was built in a series of major public works projects to help boost the travel and tourism industry, giving the Appalachian region a leg up to climb out of the Great Depression nearly 100 years ago. And people are still visiting. How do you like that? All right. Uh, 
On that note, we're going to talk about the failures of all these banks. What does it mean for you? Could this be 2008 all over again? We're going to get into it in a moment with uh, Simon Constable. He is a brilliant financial commentator, a brilliant writer, and uh, has a delightful UK accent, which you will hear momentarily. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Probably seen the headline that uh, there has been a major bank failure, and this is very alarming uh, for several reasons. Because essentially, you remember the the old scene in It's a Wonderful Life, where you had all these people rushing to take their uh, their their money out of George Bailey's bank. And he couldn't pay all the depositors. They're lined up. And I'm sorry, I meant to pull the audio, but uh, I didn't have uh, I didn't have an opportunity. It w- but they're they're running around. They're saying, you know, where's our money? Where's our money? And you know, George is describing. Well, no, it's in Joe's house, and it's in so and so's house. Well, uh, this story involving uh, Silicon Valley Bank is an interesting one, and potentially a very frightening one. Uh, Here to help us break some of this down is a a man whose knowledge of the financial markets is second to none, a man whose accent is second to none, a journalist, a broadcaster, a columnist, and the author of the book, The Wall Street Journal Guide to the 50 Economic Indicators That Really Matter, the inimitable, the one and only Simon Constable. Hello, Simon. Hello, Frank. Lovely to hear your voice. You always sound so perky. Uh, early in the morning, I'm I'm always amazed. Thank you. Now it's a it's a much more civilized hour for you in Scotland, right? It's about eight thirty there. Oh, well, I'm actually in France now at oh. the moment, and um and uh, it's yes, it's it's about eight thirty in the morning, and uh, and the, the sun is just coming out. So, uh, but I hope it does for you later in a few hours <laughs> in in New, in New York. Yeah, you and me both. All right. Um, help us break uh, break this down here. Uh, Silicon Valley Bank. What exactly happened on Friday, and why did it happen? Well, what, what happened was the, the the bank was basically the bank basically went bust. 
it, uh, it, it, it could no longer operate as a bank. Too much money was flowing out of it. Uh, the, the government has basically t- taken it over. The depositors uh, may or may not get their money back. Um, the, the limit for insured deposits is 250000 per person. And there's, that's a very small amount of the money that is in or that was deposited in Silicon Valley Bank. So there is the potential for a lot of people to lose a lot of money. Those people could include other companies, and that could have a roll-on effect throughout the economy. So that, that's basically what happened. It is exactly like you said, George, George Bailey in It's a Wonderful Life. You know, the, the, the bank doesn't have a lot of money. It, it takes a lot of money in. It lends a lot of money. And... You know, you nominally have a deposit, but that's largely been lent out. And that's exactly what's happened here. Uh, One of the very disturbing things is the government is now considering bailouts uh, of of all those depositors, which causes what's known by economists as moral hazard. So if you thought the bank was going to go bust and and you put your money in it, that would be a reckless thing a reckless thing to do. And by bailing out banks whenever they go bust, you encourage people to go where the interest rates on the deposits higher and maybe the bank is reckless. So if, if, you, if you understand that, you, you wouldn't buy pizza from, from a place that was cheap but known for food poisoning. And basically this is, you know, if, if it's dodgy, it could be like financial poisoning. I hope that makes sense. Uh, no, no, I, I, I think it, uh, it certainly, it certainly does. It, um, now, the news came yesterday that a New York-based bank, Signature Bank, um, is also in some trouble. What exactly happened with Signature, and was that tied to Silicon Valley? I think that's all tied to the same thing. The, the Federal Reserve is basically ca- causing this indirectly. Right. I don't think they, they got up in the morning a, f- a few months ago and said, oh, let's let's cause some banks to 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 crash. So t- two things have been happening. And you, you, you know, definitely one of them is that the borrowing costs have been going up because the Federal Reserve have been putting up interest rates. Um, and that uh, that has been making long, long bonds, um, yeah, treasuries uh, go down in value. And that's also um, meant deposit rates have, have gone up. So Silicon Valley Bank definitely had a lot of long bonds. Uh, it should have had short dated securities so that it could it could uh, uh, benefit from the, the difference between their borrowing costs and their and, and their lending of their lending price. But they didn't they didn't do that. They had it the opposite way round. Uh, Signature Bank may have happened the, the same way. The other thing that the and again, I don't know that. But the, the, the other thing that has happened is that the Federal Reserve has been reducing the amount of money in the economy. And you may remember many years ago, uh, the Fed started buying bonds, uh, and that was basically a way of printing money. Well, they've been doing the opposite over the last year or so. And so the amount of money, and money isn't just paper money, it's also electronic money, that's been coming down. So there's been less liquidity in the, in the money market. And less liquidity has led some banks to, you know, fragile banks, and maybe Signature Bank was fragile. Uh, th- that's obviously hurt them too. And then you've also got the uh, Silver Lake Bank as well. And, um, and there'll probably be some more too. I don't know whether we should be concerned about this or not, 
because banks go bust all the time. And it's probably very healthy. Businesses mm. go bust all the time. You know, uh, it's, it, it's normal. You know, the pizzeria on the, on the corner may go bust if it, it's not doing a very good job. And that's part of what makes America's economy the healthiest in the world. It's a very healthy economy in its destruction. I don't know, Frank, if you have a garden, but when a tree dies, you cut it down. Or when a plant is looking bad, you prune it back, Right because you want the healthy bits to grow. And the same with the economy. If, if these banks were not, you know, not doing well, why save them? Now, with Silicon Valley Bank, there is something to save, which is the relationships they have with the Silicon Valley businesses. And that's good. I don't know about Signature Bank very much at, at all. But, but you see where I'm coming from, is that right. the death of a company should not be treated as, oh, my God, we've got to save it. Because and, and excuse my um, my language there, but it it, it it shouldn't be that way. You know, businesses come, businesses go. Um, if we didn't let businesses fail, then we'd still have the same businesses we did a hundred years ago, and there'd be you know there'd be no room for new companies. It would be crazy. Uh, talking with Simon Constable, uh, if you haven't gotten his book, please uh, check it out. It's a, a fascinating read and it puts complex financial and economic terms into into uh, terms that even people like me can understand. It's called the Wall Street Journal Guide to the 50 Economic Indicators That Really Matter. Simon, uh, so take me through again what you alluded to in terms of the Federal Reserve's role in hiking interest rates and how the interest rate hikes, which uh, Jerome Powell indicated was needed to break the back of inflation and uh, is indicating there are more on the way. Could be half a point, maybe even three quarters of a point. Who knows? Maybe even a full point. They're determining to they've determined to keep raising interest rates until uh, consumer prices get under control. Why would explain to me and our audience, if you can, why would the Fed raising interest rates lead to these problems with SVB Bank and Signature Bank, either directly or indirectly? Okay, so let, let me let me explain the SVB Bank, which I which I understand a little bit better than the Signature Bank situation. Banks have two two things: they have assets and li- liabilities, and the, the assets they buy. Uh, or the uh, Silicon Valley Bank bought were long bonds. Uh, they're, they're things like 10-year treasuries, five-year treasuries, you know, maybe 20-year or 30-year treasuries. When the and, and they also they, they borrow money from depositors, and they th- those those deposits get a small amount of interest, and um, and and that's what the depositors get paid a, a tiny a tiny amount a, amount of money. Now there's a difference between the liability and the asset. The 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 liability is what they owe the depositors. The asset is what they've put the money in. And in Silicon Valley's case, it was these treasuries. Now when interest rates went up, the value of those treasuries went down. I see. The, 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 Right. And so they went down massively. Now, this was a mistake. This was a mistake, in my view, by the chief financial officer. That should not have happened. They could see that was coming. This was well signaled. Jerome Powell didn't get up one, you know, one day in the middle of the night and say, I'm hiking interest rates out of the blue. This was well, well signaled. It was like a train coming. Get off the track. The train's coming. They didn't get off the track. 
they stayed on the track and they said, okay, we're going to do that. So the value of their, their assets went down massively and they still had these huge liabilities. A lot of money had flowed into Silicon Valley Bank uh, j- during the pandemic. I mean, really l- lots and lots of money, uh, more money even than, uh, than, than, than you have, uh, Frank. So, you know, <laughs> we're talking a major, major amount of money here. And so you get this disconnect between what they owe and what they own, and it, and it sort of shifted the wrong way, and that and that's really bad. And you may find other banks uh, suffering from that as well. And again, it comes back to the uh, to the, the chief financial officer and the treasurer uh, of any company need to look at that. Now, it's particularly bad in banks because there's a disconnect between what they're what they're lending and what they're borrowing, and that's how they make their money. And they've got to manage that very well. And there are plenty of tools out there to do this. So. You know, it it it, it, rem, it reminds me very much of uh, of Bear Sands and, and Lehman Brothers. You know, um, may, maybe the symptoms were were caused by different things, but it's a symptom of of banking. Banking can be very unstable. I hope that makes a heck of a lot more sense than it did before, because it's a very complicated yes. area. Yeah, no, I appreciate you clarifying that and, and taking the time to walk us uh, walk us through it. One thing uh, that I was a little bit surprised by before I read a little bit more about the situation in Silicon Valley Bank, I think most Americans know that um, your deposits are insured up to $250,000 per account by the FDIC, which a lot of Americans who don't have more than $250,000 in the bank, it's not exactly a big concern for us because our whole, you know, our whole uh, assets that are in banks, we're taken care of, we're going to be provided uh, for. But what surprised me is how many people at the Silicon Valley Bank had more than $250,000 in their accounts. Why would any person have more than $250,000 in an FDIC-insured bank when this could very well happen? It's it's a very good question. You'd you'd have to have great confidence in the bank to do that. Uh, Perhaps you were a business that had raised some money from venture capitalists and you'd parked the money there temporarily uh, while while you drew it down to grow your, your business. Uh, remember, businesses count as people. I mean, I think that the, the, uh, the Supreme Court uh, announced that. So when you say when you say people, it could, it could be businesses right. that have this money or entrepreneurs, solo entrepreneurs have put the money in there. And maybe they, they didn't look hard enough at what was going on with the bank. Or maybe when they put the money in, the bank was fine and they never looked again. It's sort of like, you know, you, 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 again, I'll go back to the restaurant thing. You go to the restaurant all the time and you think it's fine and it's fine. You, you stop you stop sort of poking around and saying, is it clean here? Or, you know, are there rats in the kitchen? Because, you know, it's always been fine. So you think maybe it always will be. Uh, there are also, I would say, a heck of a lot of people in Silicon Valley who are very, very rich. And and that that's a you know that's a consequence of a lot of value being built. So I, I think um, anyone who's putting more than that much in the bank account or, or significantly more than that is is probably being a bit reckless and maybe should have spread the money around. You know, two hundred and fifty in one place, two hundred and fifty in another place, two hundred and fifty right. in another place. There are plenty of banks in America, plenty of banks. So you can you can spread your wealth around literally and be a lot safer. 
I did hear one report yesterday that the government is going to be allowing depositors, even if they had more than $250,000 at a Silicon Valley bank account, to be able to get, they'll be able to get all their money, even if it's in excess of that $250,000. Is that the kind of uh, pseudo bailout and the kind of moral hazard that you're talking about? Absolutely. That, that, that is not a pseudo bailout. That, that's a bailout. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that is completely a bailout. That will come from taxpayer money. The, the insurance money um, for the 250000 that's covered. So that's not, that's not a bailout. The bank pays for that insurance. But everything in excess, that would, that would be a bailout. And yes, it does cause, cause moral hazard. Uh, you know, if, if the, the lead bankers, you know, the CEO, the CFO, you know, and, and that group of people knew that their bank would go bust and, you know, their, their pensions would go down the, the tubes if they got it wrong, uh, then I think they'd be a bit, quite a bit more careful. I know I would be if I was running a bank and, and that was on the line. But if, if they know that, oh, yes, the government, the Treasury will fork over an absolute ton of money, then they won't be as careful. It's it's. You know, think about it. You're on a tightrope. Do, do you want a net below you or not? Right. We all want a net below us, but we'd be a lot more careful if there was no net. And and by, by the, the the government coming coming up and saying, oh yeah, well maybe we'll do this. If that happens, we, we don't know yet. We'll, we'll wait and see. Then then you're almost encouraging reckless behavior. The uh, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen was on the Sunday's shows sp- saying specifically the opposite of what you're saying. She said there will be no bailout for Silicon Valley Bank, and then she tried to reassure Americans that there will be no domino effect, and she said that the federal government is working to help depositors. In your view, is she being being a little cute by saying that there's going to be no bailout, but that the federal government's going to help depositors? Well, the federal uh, sorry, the, the the federal government can help depositors by getting the the bank taken over. So, if, if for instance, and I, I and I don't know um, which bank would want to do this, but the the obvious candidate will be J.P. Morgan. It's it's an enormous bank, uh, you know, and it's and it's done similar things in the past. But taking over the bank and saying, okay, well, we'll take we'll take this over, we'll take the liabilities over, which are the deposits. And um, we'll take the brand name and everything else because there's a lot there's a lot of good things within the bank. Like I said, the, the relationships in Silicon Valley have got to be very helpful for for big banks in terms of getting getting deals done, making loans, and all that sort of thing. So if they can broker a deal where it's bought, now I think the shareholders are going to be hurt very badly, and that's that's kind of their fault, and and that's very sad for them. Um, but I think the depositors could be okay. My my worry is that the government forks over money rather than rather than brokers a deal. And I think brokering a deal is fine. I mean, I think I think mm-hmm. that's you know that's where capitalism comes in. You know, maybe it's Jamie Dimon to the rescue, or another big banker. Maybe it's Goldman Sachs to the rescue. I I don't know, and I don't know what where it would fit best. But there are a lot of big banks with a lot of money that are very solvent all the way around, and they could come in and do that. And that would actually give a, a, a breath of relief for depositors. But depositors at other banks should now be thinking, okay, is my bank safe? Right. Do I have more than a quarter of a million dollars in there? And maybe if, if I do, maybe I should shift some. I think that would be very prudent for people to do. You know, 
Other people may see, see it different, but I think that would be prudent. Well, would that cause a run on the bank if everybody runs to the bank when the bank's open in a couple hours and take out all the money that they have in there over $250,000 and the banks are unable to make good on the money that people are trying to take out? Is that another George Bailey situation? It, it could be. But remember, if that money is taken out, it's going to go in somewhere else. Isn't right. It? So it's 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 not like you're, you're you're taking it out and putting it in a big duffel bag like Bugsy Siegel, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's right. You, you're going to take it out and put. You're probably going to transfer it to another bank. So you know you may, may, maybe you have um, you know a, a, a million dollars with uh, J.P. Morgan, and you say, well, okay, I'm going to put uh, and part of, part of that. Seven hundred fifty thousand, and put two hundred fifty in, you know, um, Bank of America, two hundred fifty in Signature Bank, two hundred fifty in another bank, or maybe not Signature, given what you just said. But you see what I'm saying? Right. You, you can you can spread it around, and maybe people at you know at Bank of America are saying, okay, well, I've got you know I've got half a million. I'll take uh, half of that half a million and put that in J.P. Morgan. So it 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 could you know it, it could all wash wash around. Um, undoubtedly, there will be some banks that fail, but. Banks fail all the time. It's 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 the nature of it. Businesses fail all the time. Um, th- this is this is the nature of it. I mean, we've just been through the winter, uh, and you see, you know, plants die back. You know, some plants never come back after the winter. Some do, and you know that that will happen. And and much as it's sad for the employees and 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 everything. Those employees will, will no doubt overwhelmingly be great people who are hardworking and smart and they will find other jobs. That's the nature of, of business in America. It's it's you know, we've 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 all been through that. You know, when company companies around us fail, you move on. And um and oftentimes people say it's the best thing that happened to me. Yeah, uh, we've been talking with Simon Constable. Simon, thank you. I hope we're not bothering you on your vacation. I, I do have to ask you about this, though, even if we are bothering you on your vacation. The headline on CNBC when uh, when the news of Signature Bank came, regulators close crypto-focused Signature Bank citing systemic risk. I know Silicon Valley Bank was a big haven for a lot of tech money, imagining a lot of crypto-related companies and industries. What role do you think crypto is playing in this whole thing? Is that a significant factor here? I'm not sure that it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. I know that, that the wealth effect has been pretty bad for for, for crypto, right? P- people who bought crypto at sixty thousand dollars a, you know, a Bitcoin, uh, and and now finding it worth, you know, a, a fraction of, of that will, will have been hurt by the by that. But but basically, crypto isn't used in the same way money is. We we get we don't go to the bank to. To borrow crypto, we might go to a, a bank or a banking institution to buy crypto. I don't, but but some people might. But you don't get a loan and then start paying it back, you know, bit by bit by bit. You 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 most people just hold it, um, and then and then they'll sell it. They'll sell it later if if it's made a profit or a loss. So I I'm not sure how that works. I mean, the thing about debt and money is that it sort of compounds. Problems. Mm. So if, if you if you if you have some money in the bank, that that's good. And if if um, you don't get much interest, that's good. But if you borrow money, you have to keep paying the bank interest every month, no matter what. Uh, you know, and that and that that can that can really start to accelerate when when a business or a or an individual's finances start to go wrong. 
And so th that can cause a lot of systemic risk. I'm not sure about what the, the crypto can do. I don't know. And uh, I know maybe two people who own some crypto, but it's, it's, if they lost it all, it wouldn't cause them any pain. Um, I'm, I'm sure it's a, sm it's a small portion of their wealth. It, it's like the change in their pocket, um, proportionately. You know, so you know you wouldn't if if, if you um, you know if, if you if you dropped some money down the back of the seat at home, you know would 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 you be crying? Pro probably not. It'd be irritating, but um, it w it wouldn't be bankrupting. Uh, so I'm not really sure what they're saying there. Yeah, no, no, no. Uh, uh, I, I can understand that. By the way, while we've been speaking, or perhaps a, a little bit before, uh, there's been some major news. The other side of midnight proudly presents breaking news. Uh, as you prophesized, Simon, unless you already knew this and just didn't tell me, uh, HSBC is acquiring the British arm of uh, stricken Silicon Valley Bank, and uh, they're announcing a, a rescue deal for at least the UK branch of Silicon Valley Bank. So uh, I guess, uh, is that unusual that they would just take one area of the bank and not the whole the whole bank? Uh, I, don't, I don't know if that's un unusual. It makes sense in the UK. The, the London has a very, um, a very, very important sector of its economy called the, the fintech business, which is financial technology firms. And they're doing really quite well in London. And HSBC has never really done that well in the US. So it makes sense for them to stick to where they, they can do better. So it would actually help rescue ah. a sector of the UK industry, which relies on Silicon Valley Bank. And it fits them in there uh, well in, in an area they understand. I imagine the Bank of England helped br broker this. I, I say see. I imagine, but uh, I think they would be. The Bank of England is set right in the heart of the financial district, so they can literally walk out, have a meeting with with a bank, and and, and arrange something. That's what's um, what makes sense. I would point out as an aside, very few foreign banks make it in America. Very few at all. Uh, they, um, if, if any, make it in a, in a big way. So it makes sense for HSBC really to stay, stay where it does its business uh, well and um, and can compete in a, in a good way. So, well, good, good, good for for all the people in London then, and uh, and the rest of the UK. That that's, that's I hope something similar happens in the US. I'm, I'm sure it will. I'm, I, I can't imagine they'll announce that at uh, three three in the morning. In the U.S., they'll probably wait till prime time, which will be eight o'clock, mm. so uh, in, in the morning. But uh, that's a, that's a good sign. That's a, that's a very good sign. A rescue, but not a bailout. And um, if uh, if you were betting, uh, Simon, would you do you think we're headed towards another two thousand eight situation? Oh, I hope not, Frank. I hope not. <laughs> I hope not for you, and hope not for me, because it means every weekend someone's going to go bust. It was a bleak period. It was horrible. I, I, I really, I really hope it, it wasn't. The good news is, is that we don't have the whole of the housing market. Remember, that was the whole of the American housing market that was the problem, uh, because it was the the, the ninja loans. Remember those? No right. income, no, income, no, income, job, no, job. no asset. Right. Yeah. Um, and and that was that was a very silly way to do loans. That's not happening here. But that is not happening here in any way. We've not got lots of, of ridiculous loans out there where, where we, you know, we should have known people weren't ever going to be able to pay back and that would affect the banking system. That isn't happening. The liquidity crisis, is, is a, and it is a bit of a crisis, is, 
is a problem. And I think it may uh, prompt the Federal Reserve to pause on hiking interest rates uh, because, you know, wrecking the entire economy for the sake of inflation, you know, a banking crisis, if it, if it was going to go that direction, um, would, would be very bad for the economy. Now, right now, it's not a crisis. It's a couple of banks that had a hard time. Okay, you know, one of them was pretty big, but you know that if it if that stops now, then then we're fine. It's going to be interesting to see what the Federal Reserve does. I think they they will tend to be cautious mm. uh, and want to do, quote do no harm. I think that's you know is, isn't that what doctors do, do, want to do <laughs> exactly to the do Hippocratic no Earth, the Hippocratic Oath. Yeah. Hey uh, Simon, um, thank you very much. Uh, if we did bother you on vacation, I apologize. But uh, when, your, a, wis- when your wisdom is you, needed, Frank, it's needed. It's never a problem. I appreciate never it. Never a problem. We'll talk again soon. I hope. Thank you, Frank. Have a great day. Thank Bye. you. Appreciate it. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation or anything else we've covered today, you're welcome to give me a call, 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. the night if you ever want to know what kind of music we're playing on this program then you can join our facebook group just go to facebook.com slash groups slash radio excuse me facebook.com slash groups slash radio morano that's m-o-r-a-n-o and that's also a sort of a, a sounding board it's a platform for People to discuss this show, the topics we cover, the guests we have on, the things that I say, the music we play, whatever. Uh, You can comment as you see fit in that forum. We ask that you try to at least make a good faith effort to stay on topic. All right, 800-848-9222. Let me begin with Kevin in Lake Mayapak. Kevin, you were Johnny on the spot. You were calling in on that uh, HSBC sale even before I brought it up with Simon. Oh yeah, the um, the news is dramatically good um, for Silicon Valley. Uh, frankly, a lot of European institutions, going along with Simon, um, are seeking entree into the tech world and uh, the West Coast. Uh, BNP Paribas uh, just sold Bank of the, their they bought Bank of the West in California and couldn't make it work for some reason. So. Um, 
the fact that HSBC is, is jumping on this asset, and it is a tremendous asset. So well, kudos to them for seeing the value. So do you, do you think that this is, do you think that we're going to be headed towards another, uh, uh, is this a domino situation? Are we going to see a whole bunch of banks fails or, or, or will this be few and far between? It's not clear. The, um, the, the news for me this weekend was Signature Bank in New York is also facing troubles. So, um, it's all a question of balance sheet adjustment. Um, those treasuries, although they're, that turn out bad in this instance are are regulatory assets uh, which help shore up the bank's balance sheet. So in this case, uh, because of what's been going on with uh, the Fed and stuff, <laughs> inflation, uh, it turned out to be an, a, a bad investment. But, you know, who could foresee it? Yeah, who could foresee it indeed? That's exactly right. Hey, Kevin, thank you for the call. Thanks for uh, keeping us on our toes. 800-848-9222. And we're also on Twitter, at Frank Morano. That's Frank, M-O-R-A-N-O. Coming up next hour, speaking of the economy, speaking of money, the number of Americans going to college is going down. First time in a while that that's happened. Why do you think that's the case? We'll get into it. What does it mean? Is that good? Is it bad? Neither? Both? What do you think? 800-848-9222. Until next hour, help, um, your influence counts. Be sure to use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. America's college enrollment has fallen since the start of the COVID pandemic. And this downward trend since 2018 is persisting with millions of fewer students in classrooms. That is the most ever according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And economists say the impact could worsen labor shortages. I'm skeptical about that. We'll get into that in a moment. Despite in-person classes resuming, post-secondary institutions, colleges and universities, experienced a decline in enrollment between fall 2019 and fall of 2022 with approximately 1.1 million fewer students. 1.1 million fewer students representing a decrease of about 6% of total enrollment. That's according to the National Student Clearinghouse Research Center. That's a real number, 6%. That's not a that's not a rounding error. That's not a slight trend. That's not a okay, they forgot to count a few people. No. 6% decline in college enrollment, that is real. Undergraduate student enrollment saw a decrease of more than 1.2 million students, almost 
of total enrollment. And there's all sorts of factors that they cite for this. So I'm not going to ask you why. I'm going to tell you the factors that they cite, and then we'll get into whether what, what the implications of this are. They cite increasing college tuition, declining birth rates, the economic effects of the COVID pandemic. So a decline in international and transfer students that were transferring here prior to the pandemic may also be a factor. So a lot of people believe, and I think Reason Magazine had a uh, column by Emma Camp on this subject, that fewer people going to college could actually be a good thing. Uh, One student told the Associated Press, if I would have gone to college after school, I I would be dead broke. So fewer and fewer young people are enrolling in college after graduating high, or graduating high school. However, while many have presented this decline as some sort of national emergency, declining audience rates, according to Reason, may actually be a good thing. Lower enrollment sends the message that four-year colleges need to lower their inflated prices. Plus, the decline may actually be coming from students who were already likely to drop out of school without a degree. By skipping school, many are saving themselves from accruing unnecessary debt for a degree they likely would never have obtained. So you follow what she's saying? She's saying it's good because tuition is inflated, and a lot of these people would have dropped out anyway. They're just not enrolling to begin with. So while college enrollment rates for recent high school graduates have been steadily increasing for decades, the proportion of high school graduates going on to college began to level out at the start of the Great Recession, fluctuating between 66% and 70% from 2008 to 2018. However, following the pandemic school closures, enrollment began a rapid decline. From 2019 to 2020, national college enrollment rates for recent high school graduates declined 3.5%. So according to the AP, college attendance rates have increased slightly in 2022. However, the decline is still uh, has still resulted in panic from lawmakers and higher education officials. For example, in 2021, officials in Tennessee launched a call to action after finding that just over half of Tennessee high school graduates were enrolling in college. So I'm curious, do you agree with this reason column that this could be a good thing? 800-848-9222. It's so funny. I had this on my list to talk about for four days, and then I happen to see a column in the New York Post by Ricky Schlott, uh, in, uh, I think it was Saturday's paper. It might have been Friday's. I think it was Saturday. And Ricky Schlott, if you've read the post, you've probably seen her column. She's a young person, very intelligent. Uh, she's kind of conservative, very bright, intelligent, lovely young woman. And she did not finish college. And she says society should quit stigmatizing that. She begins her column this way. She says, when I tell people... I didn't finish my college degree. They have one of two reactions. Sometimes it's good for you for doing your own thing. But oftentimes she gets a look of concern or pity and a question. But you'll go back, right? 
over the past century, graduation rates have soared, and most people believe that's a good thing. She says, Ricky Schlott, I'd like the doctor who prescribes my medication or the engineer who builds the bridge I drive over to have college credentials. But a college degree has also become a status symbol and a de facto requirement in polite society. Non-graduates are being left behind. In fact, nearly four and five say they've experienced some sort of stigma for not having a degree. I don't think it was this column. I think it was another column that I read on this. But someone else said, now that college attendance is dropping, and especially among Generation Zers and Millennials, that they're dipping in their college attendance rate, employers should stop looking at a college degree as the be-all and end-all. You know, uh, if you look at the... um, If you look at in the media, Rush Limbaugh, very successful talk show host, maybe the most successful in history, no college degree. If you look at the guy these days that's probably on the most talk stations, at least on AM, Sean Hannity, no college degree. Sean Hannity, um, Curtis Lewa, very successful, very smart guy, no college degree. Al Sharpton, MSNBC, presidential candidate, no college degree, also a nationally syndicated radio talk show host. If you look at uh, the world of just being a news anchor, Brian Williams, no college degree. Scott Pelley, I believe, um, no college degree. Um, so there are uh, – look, I, look, the man who signs my paycheck – Every two weeks, John Katsimatidis, no college degree, dropped out of school. And you could read all about it in his book, which is out now. It's a terrific book. It's called How Far Do You Want to Go by John Katsimatidis. I'm mentioned on pages 230 and 243 for all you Moranaholics out there. He didn't complete college. And um, I think the people that are saying that employers need to relook this have a point. I'm curious what your take is. One, do you think that this is a good thing or a bad thing? The decline in college attendance. 800-848-9222. Two, do you agree with those who say that now that fewer people are going to college, employers need to start changing their expectations of what's required of them, what's required of their employees, meaning not making a college degree an essential part of the job. And then lastly, do you think, as Emma Camp sort of alludes to in her uh, column, no, uh, yeah, in Reason, in her column in Reason, that this could lead to colleges decreasing their tuition? 800-848-9222. Or if you have thoughts on this uh, more generally, I'd love to hear them. 800-848-9222. Hey, my buddy Mike Porcelli is on the line. He's been my uh, in-studio guest and a frequent on-air contributor. He is the world's greatest mechanic, and he has been banging this drum 
for as long as I've known him, saying uh, college may not be for everybody, vocational training might be for a lot of people, and you can actually earn more money and not have the kind of debt that a lot of college students have. Mike, uh, give me your take on these numbers. I'm sure you're familiar with them. Yes, Frank. I agree with everything you've been saying so far. College is not necessary to become successful in life. Uh, it's, In fact, today, it's increasingly important for people to, to learn trade skills because we have a severe shortage of skilled tradesmen. And uh, I recommend a combination of trade education and college education. It's it's the it's becoming increasingly important more important for people to be skilled in many different areas and to do so without getting into deep debt. That makes a lot of sense. The, uh, go ahead, go ahead. The uh, trade skills are becoming more and more important. The high tech High technology requires people with extremely high technology skills. You can't you can never get a rocket off the ground without skilled technicians. Nothing happens, nothing works without skilled technicians that make everything work. They keep the lights on, they keep the cars running, the trains running, planes flying. Without without us, nothing works. That's true, Mike. That's true. And to Ricky Schlott in her column mentions that um, according to the Federal Reserve, 7.6% of 22 to 27-year-olds who didn't graduate from college are unemployed. Now, meanwhile, kids the same age who have degrees in philosophy, sociology, media, graphic design, and foreign language are more likely to be out of a job. That's right. If you have a college degree, depending on what it is, you're actually more likely to be unemployed. And fine arts majors take the cake with a 12.1% unemployment rate. Yeah, if you if you noticed in some of my recent columns, I pointed out that, out that PhDs make much less than mechanics working for New York City. Yeah, I know plenty of both, and uh, you're exactly right. Mike, by the way, uh, tell people how they can get your column. Uh, just, just Google Mike Porcelli, master mechanic. You'll find it. Or the other side of education. It's called. It's copied from your name, Love Frank. It. Love it. I give, I give you credit. Thank the other you. side of education and my name. You'll find it. But I have to point out one more thing. I I recommend a combination. I'm I'm doing a lot of research on this now. In fact, I'm writing this week's column right now. The uh, combination of trade skills and college training at at any level you know whether it's associate's degree bachelor's degree master's degree the combination of trade skills and master's uh, not, uh, college degrees is the best combination for career success i have learned one thing the statistic that says that college graduates make much more than people with just a high school diploma is misleading because they never consider people like me who have both right Right. Well, that's a good point, Mike. I'm just Mike. considered a college graduate. Nobody considers me a tradesman. Right. Right. Mike, uh, it's a great point. Uh, let's talk again soon. Thank you, my friend. It's good to talk with you. Um, and in terms of Ricky Schlott's broader point, I think she's exactly right that society, on, she's right on two fronts. One, society does stigmatize people without a college degree. And two, we shouldn't. We shouldn't. You know, um, 
for all the reasons that she has stated, for all the reasons that Emma Camp has stated, for all the reasons that Mike stated, sometimes people go a different direction. You know, I went to uh, graduate school, but I didn't finish. I didn't finish and get my master's degree. Now, sometimes I'm a little embarrassed by that. I'll be honest. You know, I, I end up in conversations with a lot of people with uh, postgraduate degrees and uh, a lot of people with multiple postgraduate degrees. You know, for instance, my mother has a master's degree. My brother has a PhD. My other brother has a master's degree. My sister and I, we're the black sheep in the family in that we were the only ones with only a regular college degree. And sometimes I'm tempted to go back and finish my master's degree. And I may do that one day. But I look at the amount of money that it would cost me to do that. And I said, well, do I want to do that? Or do I want to uh, put some money away towards, you know, Carmine's education or paying off my credit card bill or paying off my mortgage or paying do, going to Atlantic City or doing it on things now? So I, I don't think we should be destigmatizing. I don't think we should be stigmatizing people that didn't go to college. Uh, the other one in terms of the media industry that I'll mention, Lester Holt. Lester Holt, he attended California State University but dropped out. I mean, think about that. Three of the biggest anchors in news, actually, if you include Peter Jennings, same deal, I believe. Scott Pelley, Brian Williams, Lester Holt, Peter Jennings, not one of them has a college degree. And yet these are the leading these are the leading, well, or in the case of Peter Jennings, I know he passed away. These were the leading folks delivering the news. 800-848-9222. Uh, it's 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on anything uh, that we are talking about. Let me say hello to John in Freehold. Hello there, John. Hey, Frank. Um, you forgot about Einstein, Bill Gates. Well, that was God. a different era, though, uh, Einstein. Um, that was a, a, a different era than, than the era now where where I think people really are stigmatized to some extent. Yeah, no, I mean, listen, I, I have two degrees in graphic design and 3D animation. But when I graduated, it was 2012, and uh, we're in that, uh, you know, the economy was doing bad. I couldn't get a job because everybody wanted experience. And you can't get experience without getting hired. But six months after I graduated my school, they wanted uh, me to start paying the loan back. So I have car insurance. I have my phone. I have bills, everything. I have two degrees, and I've done nothing with them. It was a waste. If I could go back and do it again... And I would recommend to anybody, go for a specific skill. You know, you, why do you have to figure out that you want to sleep with your mother? What does that have to do with, uh, you know, fixing a... Yeah, you could probably figure that out without going to college. Hey, uh, by the way, John, did you make that uh, that graphic that you that was posted in the Facebook group? Oh, I did, Frank. I yeah, did. That's I'm very frame it and send it to you. Uh, well, thank you. That's very creative. Uh, it's not necessarily the most flattering portrayal of me, but it is creative. <laughs> How did you make that? That's not with AI, is it? 
No, no, it's a handmade. Handmade. That's that's really impressive. The level of detail on this um, on this sketch is really something. If people don't know what we're talking about, uh, this this cartoon that John made, it's in the Facebook group. It it's me sticking a. It looks like a pencil in my ear, although I only stick pens in my ear. I mean, I have some standards. And uh, you see uh, Rachel calling on my phone. You see me Googling, why does, uh, you see me Googling, does Curtis like me? And you see a list of subjects to talk about that includes aliens, JFK, and cheese. And there are actually aliens behind the glass, behind the on-air sign. There's a Curtis Lee Beret. There's, there's a, a very, and every time I look at this, there's more and more detail to it. It's uh, it's good good stuff here, John. Well done. Oh, thank you, Frank. I'm glad you like it. I'll, I'll send it to you, Frank. Well, I, I didn't necessarily say I liked it. I said it's well done. I said that. <laughs> There'll be a few more to come. Okay. I'm gonna start doing. Well, if you do send me one, make sure you uh, th- make sure you sign that for me, John. Oh, no problem. Great, thank you very much. Appreciate thank that. Thank you so much, Frank. Bye. Thank you. The accuracy in that was uncanny, except for the gray streak. You didn't get your gray streak. That's what's inaccurate about. Uh, that's the only thing that's inaccurate. Th- is the there gray are streak. aliens it, where you sit. Yeah, I know. No, and th- that's what's inaccurate. And I, I like Curtis's beret. On the file cabinet? Yeah, no, there's some Frank, good stuff he, here. He yeah. added a few pounds to you, too, Frank. <laughs> I, I, I don't yeah, know. I know. I don't need any help from him, <laughs> believe me. Whatever. Um, and uh, But I don't mind him skipping the gray streak. You know, I, uh, I it makes me think it's an old an old picture that he based that on. I, I don't mind me, me being an alien, either. It's, it's okay. I'm fine with the being an you alien. You know, you're going to think. And there's um, three of us you, back there. You know, you're Who's gonna, the other guy? Well, Kenneth. And, uh, and Alex. And Alex, I guess, right. yeah, I guess but, that's and true. And that's what I was just going to say is... And people will, if they look at this picture, they'll tell me. One of the aliens, it does look a little like Alex Barnard, doesn't it? (laughs) It does. It does, right? I mean, I'm not just saying that, but it does. I'm not joking. I mean, it does look a little like him. Does it have the the reddish-orange beard? (laughs) No, it doesn't. I can't explain why it looks like him, but it does. Something about the facial expression on the alien, it looks a little bit like him. So... Is interesting stuff. All right. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Jimmy in Brooklyn. Hello, Jimmy. Good morning, Frank. Uh, Just wanted to uh, 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 wish all the best to you, Rachel, and Carmine. Uh, That being said, uh, Frank, I don't, I disagree. I don't think college is a necessary thing. Uh, I'll give you a great example. Uh, I've been in the demolition and excavation business for almost 36 years. And, uh, you know, we're taking down the Pennsylvania Hotel um, as well as uh, probably 12, maybe 14 other jobs just as big, if not larger in the borough of Manhattan, um, I am the president of the company, and I have never spent a day in college. Okay, uh, now I don't, I don't expect you to know, but uh, I'm going to tell you real quick uh, what's involved in taking down a building of that size. Uh, you have to figure in all the plumbing, all the electricity 
all all the piping, all you know, there is so much that goes into it as far as dismantling it and dismantling it safely and uh getting rid of all the demolition debris, you know, which requires a lot of tractor trailers, dump trailers, a lot of heavy equipment and I would say that the majority, nine out of ten of the the mechanics that work on my equipment have never gone to school. It's all hands-on. Oh, I believe it. Hands-on training since they're young guys, including myself, including myself, from the day I graduated high school, Frank. This was my father's business, and I just took it and, and, you know, ran with it and made it that much bigger and that much more successful. And, uh, again, never spent a day in college. And uh, a lot of it is common sense, and a lot of it, or I would say the majority of it, is just experience and Mm -hmm. learning every single day. Every single day I learn something new until this day. Well, uh, Jimmy, so, I, I think uh, that's very admirable, and uh, I think that goes hand-in-hand hand with kind of the conversation that we're having, hand-in-hand uh, hand with Ricky Schlott's column and with what Emma Camp right. is saying, which is that uh, college is no guarantor of success or failure, that's for sure. Jimmy, Absolutely not. Thanks for calling. Appreciate your perspective. Continued good luck to you. Dennis is in West Nyack. Hello, Dennis. Good morning, Frank. Great show today. Thanks. Three great topics. I can't, I can't believe it. Uh, between the, the city pension, college, my wife's a high school, retired high school teacher. She says trade schools are the place to go for young men and women to get real jobs. And then the SVP, SVB issue. I used to be a regulator. I suggest anybody who hasn't seen the Bernie Madoff kind of miniseries out documentary with Harry the Greek you know, alerting the SEC. This is about who was asleep at the switch again. The SEC could have been involved because PVB is a public company. So what's their role of reviewing it? The FDIC, obviously. I don't believe it's going to be the same kind of run as 08. When I was when I was questioned, when I was a regulator, the SEC wanted to know about mortgage-backed securities. Mm-hmm. And I said, wait a minute, you don't know what they are? You approved our rules. Uh, so it's all about the collateral. I'm pretty sure this will be about the collateral on the, lo- the loan side, which could be you know, some um, Bitcoin investors, you know, b- businesses that are doing Bitcoin, maybe not people that, you know, that are buying Bitcoin and holding it like the rich people that Simon was talking about. I don't think that's who's going to fail them. It's going to be, a, is it going to be about the collateral, about the lending that SVB did? Or is it going to be like the Uncle Billy who lost some money and Mr. Potter took his money? And uh, well, so what, what's maybe, your prediction? Maybe, maybe it's their diversity. Maybe it's their diversity uh, extreme of SVB. If you look at you know, articles in Breitbart this week, this weekend. So I, I think there's a lot to be found of what caused it, but there's going to be definitely regulators asleep at the switch. Yeah. I, I, uh, well said, Dennis. Thank you. Appreciate that. Oh, by the way, I'm looking at this. Um, I'm looking at this photo that uh, John made or not photo this uh, cartoon that John made. The only other thing I do have a pair of shoes like that. I don't really wear dungarees. So I, I have a couple of pairs but I very rarely wear them, especially to work. I'm usually a khaki kind of a guy. Khakis or slacks. That's kind of my move. Um, so that's inaccurate as well. And you are right. That alien on the right definitely looks like Alex. That's the one I was thinking. Because <laughs> one of them's kind of covered. I don't know why it looks like Alex, but it does. It's got a grimace on its face. Right. That's what it that's is. What it it's is. the grimace. <laughs> it's the grimace. That's it. Um, all right. Uh, Roy is in New Jersey. Hello, Roy. Hello, Frank. Are you there? 
I'm I'm here, Roy. What's on oh, okay. your mind? Um, I have a feeling we're in for What do you think is going to happen this week with the stock market? I you, got a feeling bad things are going to happen. I have a feeling. You I hope know, I'm I, wrong. I, I think uh, the thing to look at, and I should have asked Simon because he's you know in Europe right now. Uh, the thing to look at right now is the uh, British markets, which are already open. Let me see what they're doing. Uh, and I think that could be a, a harbinger of of uh, of what's to come for us. I don't know. If they announce a buyout of um, of SVB and they announce that, you know, today, maybe maybe they'll sort of stem the losses. I think uh, the market is really getting spooked by Jerome Powell insisting that uh, he's going to be he's going to be. Uh, continuing to raise interest rates until consumer spending falls, which it doesn't appear to be falling anytime soon. Roy, thank you. Joe is in Ron Konkama. Hello, Joe. Hey, Frank. How was your weekend? Good. It was. Uh, it, you know, I feel like they're all they're all really busy, really action packed, but all with good things. So it was busy but good. Yeah. Wait till your kids get older like mine. It's just like it's a blur. Yeah. Um, I'm- <laughs> I can imagine. I'm calling about what you're talking about right now with the college. My daughter's six, going to be 16 on uh, March 27th, and we're already, you know, discussing with the college. But she's also taking next September for two years at BOCES cosmetology because we told her that it's a good idea to find something that you like besides she wants to be a psychologist and to have something to fall back on while you're getting placed into a job. And it's always good to have. Something like if you want to do something on the weekends, and she's really good at it, and uh, we she's definitely going to go to college, but we thought having both bases covered in the long run in case the economy takes a dip, at least she would always have a way to make some extra money. Well, I think that's very prudent. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. You know, I'm not anti-college. Don't misunderstand. I'm anti-stigmatizing uh, people that choose not to go to college or not to complete college. And I do think employers should be more flexible about uh, about not necessarily requiring a college degree from prospective job applicants. But no, look, I'm a big believer. I, I, I went to NYU. I had a very good education at NYU. I was very happy there. So I'm not anti-college at all. But I think what you're doing uh, is similar to what Mike Porcelli was saying, which is, you know, you kind of uh, you feather feather your nest, right? Make sure you're, you're, you're taken care of in two ways. Yep. Uh, like I said, Frank, especially the way the kids are today, I – both my kids, I, they're motivated. They want to work. They want to do stuff like that. And you got to keep them that way. Have a great night. Great show. Hey, thanks, Joe. I'm looking at the British markets now, by the way. Um, not looking good. Not looking good. The uh, It looks like they're all down, all the major British indexes, but somewhere between 13% and 29% so far today. And so, so far, the markets have been open for about an hour. Not looking good so far. All right. Uh, we're going to play the the $1,000 minute in a moment. If you think you have what it takes and if you want to use some of the money that you win and invest it in, you know, the newly formed SVB bank, maybe through HSBC, you can. Uh, be the seventh caller right now to 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. And if you are the seventh caller right now and you can answer 
10 trivia questions in 60 seconds, then we're going to give you $1,000. Simple as that. So go ahead and be the seventh caller right now, 800-848-9222. You can go ahead and call right now. We'll do the $1,000 minute straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. my imagination a brilliant pick by the one and only math plays well done math plays absolutely terrific all right uh, it is time for us to play the other side of midnight presents it's the thousand dollar minute answer 10 questions correctly in one minute and you could win one thousand dollars here's your host Let us say hello to Frank in Yonkers. Hello, Frank. How are you doing, Frank? I'm well, Frank. You've heard this segment before? Yes, yes, I've Great. heard it. So you know what to do, right? Uh, I got an idea. Okay. I'll try anyway. All right. So um, at the timer will start after I ask you the first question. We're going to go through 10 questions. And um, you okay. have 60 seconds. And uh, they're pretty easy. So if, if you get a question right, we're just going to move on to the next one, okay? Okay. Go ahead, Frank. Okay. How many letters are in the word dog? Three. What award ceremony took place in Hollywood last night? The Oscars. Who is the current governor of New Jersey? Oh, God, no. The governor of Jersey, yo. Starts with an M. That's what I am. Irish name. Uh, McLaughlin? No, I'm sorry. Phil Murphy. Damn. Phil Murphy is the ah, governor. Uh, I know that's a tough one, Frank, since you don't since you don't uh live in New Jersey. But you know, he did he has gotten a lot of attention of late. So hey, I'm gonna put you on hold. Uh Kenneth's gonna give you uh, a consolation prize, okay? 
Uh, I feel stupid. Yeah, it's all right. Hey, it's, a, it's the middle of the night for a lot of people. A lot of people aren't yeah, yet firing yeah. on uh, all cylinders. Well, you play again when you're eligible. We'll do it again, okay? All right. Thanks all right. a lot, Frank. Hey, thanks for calling. Thanks for listening, Frank. Don't feel bad. Thank you. Hey, uh, by the way, you know what I noticed? When we play the jingle, or actually, I'll be honest, I didn't even notice this, but my neighbor, Deborah, who has gone from never listening to this show to realizing that I had a radio show to now to then listening when she couldn't sleep. Now, as happens when you get a sample of the show, she's a total Moranaholic, right? She's hooked. She, she said she drove out to Long Island two hours and listened to the podcast and then drove back to Long Island same day, two hours, listened to the podcast. She's hooked. And she brought up an interesting question. She said, Whenever there are announcers that announce your name on the show, they announce something like. So she said that both uh, that guy or gal and the top of the hour and the rejoin guy, they all pronounce my name as Murano. But. She said, when I listen to you, you always introduce yourself as Frank Morano, including on the radio. And that's true. That's true. But if you look, like, Morano is an Italian last name. And in the Italian alphabet, the first letter, A, it's ah, ah. And it's supposed to make an ah sound. So Morano is actually correct. I'm incorrect for saying Morano. Uh, the only and the only my father says Morano, so that's the way I grew up hearing it. My mother says Morano, that's the way uh, I always grew up hearing it. So that's the way I said it. But just because I say it that way doesn't make it right. As we've seen, my pronunciations of words are nothing if not unique. So if he, I answer to both Morano and Morano, so. Um, you know, as the, as the old saying goes, you know, call me, you can call me Morano, you can call me Morano, just don't call me late for dinner. See, I don't have a problem with it. That's, that's just fine by me. You you know who you're listening to. It's me. It's me. Uh, by the way, just uh, on the SVB front. Before, because you're going to be hearing a lot about this today. This is going to be one of those things. Do you remember after the Great Recession, there were 30 movies, 900 books, all of which said the same thing? Why it happened, right? Too big to fail and the great whatever. They all had the same premise, explaining why it happened. And then after the ninth book, the ninth movie, we kind of get, okay, we understand. Um Andrew Yang, who I've got a lot of respect for, he actually had a pretty unique take on this. He posted this on Facebook. Andrew Yang's been a guest on this show, and uh, I like Andrew Yang. I like him very much. I like what he's doing now in the third-party movement. But this is what he said in terms of Silicon Valley Bank. Silicon Valley Bank, what happened and what it means. Silicon Valley Bank was the 16th biggest bank in the country and is now the second biggest bank failure in U.S. history. Why did it fail? Because they bought a bunch of bonds when interest rates were low, and then when interest rates went up, they got repriced. And when they needed more money, 
People lost confidence. Everyone ran for the door. It's called a run on the bank. And if everyone tries to get their money out at the same time, they just didn't have the money. So in a day and a half, the government had to step in and take it over. What happens now? We're all gonna wait and see. We should hear on Sunday. But the fact is there are thousands and thousands of customers who are being put out in the cold through no fault of their own, just because they chose the wrong bank. It's like you walk into a restaurant and you get bad food. Is that your fault? If the restaurant's a freaking mega chain? Again, the 16th biggest bank in the country. So I'm of the opinion that the people who deposited their money at the bank should get their money back. And hopefully that's the way it works out. I tend to agree. It's not necessarily different from what Simon was saying. But um, I think clearly one of the lessons based on what Andrew said there and what Simon Constable said earlier the federal and John Katzmatidis has been saying this for a year. The Federal Reserve should hold off on raising interest rates again until it's done a thorough appraisal of the consequences for banks, especially the smaller banks. Because John has been warning about how it's not good for the real estate market. You're saying it's not good for the banking industry either. Just get, and look, I was an advocate of raising interest rates. I think now you got to pump the brakes a little bit. And when you do raise interest rates, yeah, the Fed ought to do a better job monitoring banks that have invested heavily in Treasury bonds. And, you know, a lot – I think also it's a case where you might need greater regulation. You know, after the Great Depression, we brought in Glass-Steagall. That we did away with under the Clinton administration. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world to talk about bringing that back. I think Trump even – Talked about that in 2016. Once he got in office, he wasn't eager to do anything about it. But he did at least talk about it in 2016. All right, 800-848-9222. So in my effort to see as uh, as many of the Oscar-nominated films as possible, I my wife and I did watch Elvis on Friday night, and I have to tell you, I absolutely loved it. It was long. It was long. I am an Elvis fan. My wife is not. And she liked it, even though she's not an Elvis fan. I really, first of all, if you're an Elvis fan, just because, you know, of hearing the music and everything, I think it's impossible to dislike this film if you're an Elvis fan. But even if you're not, as you heard from JFK on uh, Friday and in my wife's experience, they enjoyed it too. They do a really great job merging cl- modern music with the music of Elvis's era. So tremendous acting all around by Austin Butler, who plays Elvis, and uh, Tom Hanks, who plays Elvis, who plays uh, Colonel Tom Parker. I recommend this movie uh, very strongly. I found it very entertaining. I'm a big fan of Baz Luhrmann, who directed this. He did Moulin Rouge, which I loved. He did um, the remake of The Great Gatsby, which I loved. He did Romeo and Juliet, which was terrific. He did Strictly Ballroom, which I liked. He is really just a brilliant filmmaker. And all his films have a certain style to them. And this uh, Elvis film is uh, no exception. Here's the the trailer to the film Elvis, which is on uh, HBO. It's streaming right now on HBO Max. From Baz Luhrmann, the director who reimagined Shakespeare. 
reinvented the musical and redefined the classic comes a bold new vision of an American icon. But this ain't no nostalgia show. We're gonna do something different. Comic book heroes all find their superpowers. Elvis found music. Uh, bring that bass up, Jerry. I wish to promote you, Mr. Presley. I believe I can be great. But I'm But I'm Some people want to put me in jail. So Wells moving. Don't so much as wiggle a finger. I'm going to show you what the In that moment, Elvis, the man, was sacrificed. And Elvis, the god, was born. I would do anything to make sure my mom and daddy never have to live in poverty ever again. I think if you dream it, you'll do it. You do? Yeah. Colonel, you couldn't end your boy's animal behavior, or we will. There's a lot of people saying a lot of things. But in the end, you gotta listen to yourself. You bled me dry, and you still want more? I am a promoter. That is what I do. The way you see is God-given, so there can't be nothing wrong with it. Are you ready to fly? I'm ready to fly. Elvis, so I thought it was absolutely terrific. I really loved it. Now, look, it is not 100% historically accurate, but... I'm yet to see a biographical picture that is. So take some liberties. It's a movie. All right. 800-848-9222. Russell is in North Carolina. Hello, Russell. Hey, Frank. Hey, you know, you were talking earlier. I'm I'm one of those guys who was listening from the beginning. And you were talking about uh, Mike Pence. Yes. And, man, come on. This guy's going to listen. If you get into the primary, this guy's going to get maybe three to five percent. The guy's a joke. Nobody, nobody's going to support him. Well, so you like, might be right. Why so why he, do you, why do you think he's doing this then? Well, that, that that's a good question because you know a lot of people do it because they want to be vice president. They want to be an ambassador. He's already done that. Right. He's already been vice president. So you, you kind of wonder. I mean, maybe a K Street job. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what his what his deal is. Yeah, and, I, and, I, I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that. I think he could do just as well not having gone out of his way to attack Trump like that. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, I agree. But um, but hey, you know what's you know what's even better? Because screw politics. Is I grew up in the tri-state, so I say Mario, right? And my wife is always like, no, it's Mario. Mario, right. Yeah, and I'm like, no, it's Mario. So, you know, I mean, little tri-state, whatever. But, hey, hey, your Jets are going to get Aaron Rodgers, right? We we will see. We will see, (laughs) Russell. We'll take a look. Hey, thank you, Russell. Appreciate you listening. 800-848-9222. E. Frank is in Astoria. Yes, uh, Frank. uh, um, I have a neighbor 
uh, who went to um, Catholic University in America, and she has a nursing uh, a degree. Uh, she went. She finished nursing school, and she believes that people do not need to have uh, any type of education to succeed in life. And the person, the highest person in my family, had a judicial doctorate in ag- agricultural engineering. He's deceased now. My both my parents never finished high school, and I basically am still stuck as a withdrawn college student. Uh, trying to uh, to finish an associate's and applied science. If that's the case, uh, I'm not sure this is the uh, best advertisement for not going to college. I don't understand uh, the reason why you really have to finish school completely. If you don't get a job, I mean, someone has to help you out some way or somehow because I don't think that, you know, uh, college degrees are, are essential for a person to... Well, clearly they're not, Frank. We went through a long list of folks that uh, that didn't. Thank you. Uh, Steve is in Queens. Hello, Steve. Hi, Frank. Uh, I just wanted to make a comment. Uh, I think this, you know, the stigmatization of people that opted not to go to college, the reason why I'm a baby boomer, so I started college around 1967, and uh, the draft was very heavy back then. And if you did not go to a four-year liberal arts college, you'd be subject to the draft. So if you said you wanted to go into a trade school of any kind, that would not defer you. So a lot of guys, some guys I knew wanted to do that, but were afraid of going, get, getting sent to Vietnam. Uh, uh, well, they, well uh, that I could see being a, a legitimate concern back then, but that's not a factor these days. You no, know, no, but it's, it's just the idea that the government kind of even then said that that was superior, you know. Right. Well, no, that's a good point. And that that's a good point. Considered, yeah. Know, yeah. If I'm if I'm an electrician's apprentice, why is that you know. any less worthy of getting uh, getting blown up in in North Vietnam <laughs> or in Cambodia yeah. than if I'm a sociology student? That's a great point, right. yeah. Steve. Good point. Yeah. Thank you. Hey, uh, we're going to do 15 seconds of fame in a moment. You can be heard on any subject you want for 15 seconds. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. We'll do 15 seconds of fame straight ahead. The other side of midnight. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Kind enough to record this song before he passed away. We miss him as a caller, and um, he was a, a wonderful guy. Gone too soon, thanks to, uh, due to, unfortunately, Parkinson's. Uh, by the way, I am going to be sitting in today uh, from noon to two on WOND, our Atlantic City affiliate. And uh, if you want to listen to any portion of that show, you, I'm going to put the link on my Facebook page. At Facebook.com slash Morano Fan. I have no idea what I'm talking about. I'm going to be half asleep. So uh, you can uh, you can call in if you want and help me pass the time. 
For those of you listening in New York, you're going to want to be staying tuned at 5 a.m. to the best newsman in all the business, Noam Layden. And I know a lot of you say, well, I don't like news. I like talk. I like conversation. I get that. I get that. Well, before Noam gives you the news, he does a little talking. So if you haven't heard the new early morning news yet, listen to when Noam takes over um, or the news hour. We don't call it the early morning news anymore? When did that happen? It's the news hour with Noam Layden. What, the name when was that name change made? Since Noam took over. It became the news hour right. with Noam Layden. There you have it. Throw out all your early news merchandise and no uh, more, get your no news more hour. The no, rooster's gone. See, the rooster died. That you, that, you, that you rallied for. The last vestiges of my influence on that show. You know what? Don't listen. I didn't realize there was no rooster anymore. Don't listen. Noam could get his own listeners. All right. Uh, without on that note, we'll give you an opportunity to be heard for 15 seconds. The other side of midnight. This is 15 seconds of fame. Cheech and Howard Beach. Our friend Mike Porcelli was correct when he said we need dual education. Millions of Americans were misled to believe that they got to go to college. Some need a comb, some need a wrench, some need welding rods. Ralph. Okay, I have a Hollywood trivia question for you. Uh, what is the name of the daughter of Paul Sorvino, and who is the father of Angelina Jolie? Mira Sorvino and John Voight, respectively. Raji. In view of the 10 questions and answers in just 60 seconds, the New Jersey governor question should have appeared well after number three, even if the participant was from the tri-state area. Rick. The Washington Post, November 2nd, 1922, report on global warming. Maitland Mercury, 1846, March 11th, uh, the change of climate. January 1871, the Brisbane Courier. All right. On that note, that slams the lid on things for today. I'll be back tomorrow with D.D. Sorvino, the widow of Paul Sorvino. I got news for you. She's pretty ticked off. Frank Morano, good day.